And we are back in our remastered series of Phase 1 of the MCU, Iron Man 2 Remastered on Marvel vs. Marvel, as we give those movies that we first looked at so very long ago the proper, the now patented MVM treatment, all that history and context. And what a different spin we were able to put on the making of this movie, Will. Yeah, it's... Uh, God... I mean, I, I was thrilled enough that to find out Justin Theroux wrote it. But the revelations from... that Vulture had that article just last year, the revelations <laughs> from all these these on-set insiders that they had, yeah. the very, very troubled history, the making of this movie, um, that puts a lot of different things into a different lot of contexts, and it probably speaks to... You know how the uh, the Marvel movie making process has evolved over the years as well. Um, we found out that this is a movie that split so many people down the middle, including most of our listeners. Yeah, um, some really enjoy it, and a lot of people have this. It's the rubbish one. Iron Man three is loads better. It's the worst one of the of the phase one. F- fascinating to hear some of that. I, 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 you know, I don't agree with it, but. It's just it's one of these movies that really does mix people up. Um, we paid attention to some very important people with the mailbag. We also paid some bills. The most important people to pay a pension to. To pay a pension to? <laughs> people to pay attention to. Give me a pension. <laughs> Peter J, Brandon Schmigilski, Randall Schmidt, Bass DeBeer, Sam, Bindi, Sue P, Jack Davis, Billy Brown, Zubair Q, and David Fan. We cannot thank those people enough. In in a world where so many of you out there are just content to gobble up our content and not put anything back into the system, those names, the world-class wrecking crew, the top supporters, they really go, I, I'm telling you, above and beyond in their support of this podcast. It would not be possible without all the people that support us on patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel but those names ring out the loudest the stuff we put up on patreon it's exclusive incredible bonus content including deep dives into amazing marvel stories that you won't find anywhere else we've handled the kang dynasty already we got that one done Mm. Uh, we've handled things like avengers versus the justice league which you won't find anywhere else Um, a story that's now out of print unavailable to read um and this month we handled the Ultimates, which was a, a mm. deep dive into the dark and edgy version of the Avengers, a comic book series that revolutionized the comic book industry, saved Marvel Comics, according to historians and critics. Um, those kind of things are available only on Patreon, as well as things like uh, Obscure Marvel. Everybody, that, if you can, if you can give us the, the 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 support of just a cup of coffee a month. That would mean so much to the show and keep us going and, and, and help ensure that we're going to be here to deliver your favorite stuff in the future. Um, just reduce your coffee intake by one drink per month and give that caffeine in the form of money to me and Will. Uh, and we can keep going. And we'll also give you access to our hilarious, funny, um, mini bonus shows, Obscure Marvel, where we look at the most ridiculous side of the Marvel Universe. That's all available. Patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. Um, and now, Will, now. I'm going to need you need me. To, uh, to do what you do best on this podcast. 
Right, let's press play. In Moscow, a dying Antov Vanko, a former employee of Stark Industries, watches the press coverage of Tony Stark revealing himself to be Iron Man. Anton calls out for his son, Ivan, who's taking care of his ailing parent. Tearfully, Anton tells his son that Tony's success should be Ivan's before quietly passing away. A distraught Ivan pulls out the blueprints for the original arc reactor, which was worked on by Howard Stark and Anton Vanko. Working tirelessly over the next few days with a growing obsession over Tony Stark, Ivan constructs, constructs an arc reactor of his very own. Again, still weird seeing the Paramount logo at the start. It's just oh sure, but the um, we discussed this in the in the kind of the last movie, really, didn't we? Yeah, the last re- remastered, last um, remastered because that was Universal, obviously, for the Incredible Hulk. It's just Incredible Hulk. That's right, and Paramount for the so, Iron Man ones. So used to seeing Marvel Studios at the beginning doing the big thing of ah, nah, nah, this is us, la la la. Obviously, and we st- we still have we still have Marvel Studios because it's a Marvel Studios movie. Oh, yeah, but, without, but we get the distributor. We get of the Paramount distrib- Pictures. Yeah, we get uh, Paramount Pictures. Very old. Also. Uh, Mickey Rook, from what I've seen him in, uh, especially like post, you know, face uh, thing, Mickey Rook, you know, his face fell off. Post-boxing career. Post-boxing career, that was it. Uh, is one of the most peculiar stars in Hollywood. Like most things I've seen him in, there's always something like dirty about him. He always feels like he's just covered in filth, covered in a layer of filth, but in, in, but, they, <laughs> but at the same time, vaguely sexy. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's, yeah. He's a weird, he's a weird one. He's a, he's an interesting, fascinating, quite a magnetic, magnetic personality. Mm. Very charismatic, um, but but yeah, I mean, he and he was one of the best looking people in Hollywood. He really was. I but mean, before com- combined he decided that, to go boxing. Yeah, before combined with that voice. Jeez, mm. wow, yeah, incredible. So, bit of movie trivia. <laughs> Uh, talking about earlier, uh, you know, reducing Terence Howard's uh, contract to one eighth, Mick- Marvel only gave Mickey Rourke a salary of two hundred and fifty thousand for this movie. This did not match the fee he asked for, and the rest of the mo- money was made up by Robert Downey Jr. from his sizable salary. So let's remember, hmm. Marvel reduced, tried to reduce Terence Howard's money by uh, paying him an eighth of what was in his contract. Yeah. Terence Howard said he called his friend on this movie who he helped get the job for. He's talking about Robert Downey Jr. without naming him. Robert Downey Jr. didn't call him back or return his call for months. Mickey Rourke needs some more money. Robert Downey Jr. pays for it himself. So, who really wanted Terence Howard out of this movie? Right? Mm, you know what I mean? This is a this yeah. is a film where when Robert Downey Jr., who's as we talked about in that first part has so much clout and power mm. from being Marvel's first and only star, he can get people hired. He can get his wife hired. He can get his favourite writer hired as a screenwriter. Yeah. So you can't tell me that if Marvel... That if Robert Downey Jr. wanted Terrence Howard on this movie, that wouldn't have happened. It's you, you, It feels like now it's like it's not a case of, oh, uh, we're reducing a role. It's, it feels like ways of like thinning him forcing out. Forcing him out. Forcing him out. Completely. Yeah, it just, it Completely. Like, mm. I think someone, I mean, there was that, John Favreau, it, we had that in that Vulture article. There was a report that John Favreau had a lot of difficulty working with um, Terrence Howard in the first movie. Mm. But but I, I think it, it's got to be, it's got to be that Robert Downey Jr. wasn't, wasn't you know didn't want him in it. It's got to be. Yeah. Uh, it, it, maybe as well as 
probably not on its own. Yeah, yeah, of course. But it's like the JFK hit. There's not one factor. It's a, it's a confluent of events. Yeah. Back and to the left. Uh, that's what happened to his payment. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's bad. So uh, Mickey Rook uh, had three demands when he took the role. Uh, I have to have my hair in a samurai bun. I have to speak in a Russian accent. And I have to have a bird on my shoulder. I d- did not know about this. Yeah, I mean, the bird thing doesn't seem to make... My it has bird. no connection to anything in this movie. Where is my bird? my bird? The samurai bun doesn't seem to make any sense. He's not a samurai. He's not wielding swords. Samurais weren't known for using whips. Do you think he's doing a Marlon Brando? Yep. <laughs> no argument. Yeah, that's exactly what yep. he's doing. It's exactly what he's doing. He's going to wear a bucket he's on a his little head. Bit- yeah. He's a little bit really weird, yeah. uh, but he's also trying to see what he can get away with, especially yeah. if they've mucked him around on salary. And stuff. Yeah, that, or that... especially if he feels like, oh, the most important person involved in this movie has gone out of their way to pay the rest of my salary. Mm. So I'm gonna. I, I think I've got a you know a a big sizable um, uh, kind of supporter in my in my pocket. Yeah, so. that makes sense. So. What can you tell us, Rob, about uh, the character that Mickey Rook plays, Ivan Vanko? Well, he doesn't exist, and then he does exist. Hooray! So, what, like like, like Infinity Gauntlet kind of way? Not quite. So, <laughs> Whiplash, which is what you'd call this character in this movie. Hmm. Uh, if you to say, who's Mickey Rook playing this movie? He plays uh, an uh, Iron Man villain that has whips, cybernetically like whips electrify people mm. is there a villain like that and yes there is his name is whiplash but whiplash is not anton vanko right uh or, or ivan vanko okay. whiplash in the iron man comics is mark scoletti who is a, a superpowered mobster that works for the marvel version of the mafia the magia <laughs> i still can't get over that so mark scoletti is a, a gifted technician that works at Stark International's Cincinnati branch. <laughs> they got branches everywhere. <laughs> All over the place. He, he desires a life of luxury, becomes a professional criminal, gets himself a costume and a sophisticated whip of his own design that has uh, electricity running through it and everything like that. Um, and and he, he ends up working for the, um, the, the Magia. I believe, actually, he... No, no, no. I, it, it, I, I, I think it's later revealed that he was never, he was never uh, at Stark International's kind of uh, plant. Authentically, he's always been an undercover, in, uh, corporate espionage agent of the Magia. Right, I think they revealed okay. that later on. Nice, um, uh, nice arc reactor you got here, Mister Stark. <laughs> would be, uh, would be a shame if somebody with electrified whips came up and cut it in half. See, <laughs> exactly like that. Yeah, um, yeah, and, and and he becomes Whiplash. That's the name of the character, and he he uh, fights Iron Man. And we saw Whiplash in uh, when we looked at the animated Iron Man adventures. Um, he was that one of the many, many characters. He had whips. Yeah. Um, but he is not Russian. And he is not connected to Iron Man's uh, armor or anything like that. There is, however, another Iron Man character <laughs> that is similar to this. The Crimson Dynamo. Ah, that rings a bell. 
the Crimson Dynamo is there's there's like thirteen of them over the years. There's right. thirteen different people in Russia, um, in 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 the Soviet Union before and after its collapse that have donned kind of like um, a a Russian version of the Iron Man armor and become the Russian version of Iron Man, known as the Crimson Dynamo. Mm. And there is a character called Alexander Nevsky who studied and was a, almost like a son to Anton Vanko, the original Crimson Dynamo. Ah, uh, right. There we go. Greatly admired and respected Anton. Mm. And then when Anton had his fight with Iron Man and all went very wrong, um, he, he, uh, he, he sought revenge against America and against Tony Stark and against Iron Man, became the new Crimson Dynamo, updating the original armor and seeking out revenge on Tony Stark and Iron Man. Mm. So it feels like this movie character is is combining Anton Vanko's protege, the new Crimson Dynamo, with Whiplash. Like, I, I think they kind of wanted to do the Crimson Dynamo, but... I think maybe they thought, well, if we're doing Rhodey becomes a second Iron Man in this, mm. and then are the characters going to be another, uh, a third Iron Man guy? Like a Russian Iron Man? Are we going to have three Iron Man characters rocking around? I'm not sure we want that. We want who's who's visually dynamic. The whip looks cool. What can we do with the whip? So they've merged two characters together. But also then, <laughs> as this movie comes out in 2010, uh, Marvel Comics want to make sure they've got a character that exactly resembles the movie. They they love doing this. They're desperate to do it. Mm. They're desperate that someone could walk off the street into a comic book shop, pick up a comic, and not be, I don't know, feel like it's the same, even though it vastly isn't. So they create a brand new character <laughs> to coincide with this movie. Part of the major Marvel 616 universe, the main universe... Anton Vanko. No relation to the other Vanko, the Crimson Dynamo. So he's a young scientist from a small Russian village. He has no relation to the other Vanko. Uh, it must be a common name in Russia. Uh, one day the village is attacked by someone wearing Iron Man armor. He thinks it's Iron Man. It's actually someone trying to frame Tony Stark. But this guy wearing the Iron Man armor starts to murder people in this this village, this town, including Anton's father, Igor Vanko. Mm. Um, Anton, who is a scientist, has built a specialized rifle, and he's able to shoot down the uh, the imposter Iron Man. Um, and then he strips the the armor and and becomes obsessed with getting revenge on Tony Stark for the death of his father. Obsessed with the revenge on on Stark Industries and Iron Man. And he repurposes this armor and builds his own kind of version, the chest plate, and mm. and and builds whip-like weapons extending out of his arms, um, equipped with energy Ooh, in order to yeah. kill Tony Stark. So there's kind of three different people here in the mix of of who this character is and was and stuff. It kind of reminds me of what they did with Modok in in Quantum Mania. It's like, yeah, there is a Modok, but it's kind of like not that Modok, and he's not. It's like a Cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like yeah. what they do with the film. It's like it's no. Some of it we, we're gonna we're gonna piece together. I mean, it might upset some people, but I kind of like that because it does give them room to, to do something new. 
Just waiting on Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. did an awful lot of, of that. And it was mainly felt like it was there to try and make sure that you do, you always had plenty of surprises along the way. Yeah. And that you weren't like, as a fan, you weren't like, okay, we're now following the story of how this guy becomes Deathlock. What happens is a completely unrelated character that you're invested in has some adventures and some ups and downs and tragedies. And then suddenly... Before you know it, the big reveal at the end of an episode is, oh, he's going to be the Deathlock. Yeah. That's I didn't see that. That's a great kind of experience that the people involved in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. did over all their I'm, seven seasons. I'm really looking forward to getting into that after we did our episode on it. Anyway, we're not here to talk about Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. We're here to talk well, about... Well, we might be later because Coulson's here, so... Okay, okay, but right for now, it's Iron Man 2. Six months later, Iron Man makes a bold skydiving entrance to the reinstated Stark Expo held in Flushing, New York. Speaking to. I would change the name of that town if it were me. Yeah. I just wouldn't. If I'm in charge. If I'm the mayor of Flushing, I'm just embarrassed to say where I'm from. I'm going to change the name. I I had to. I I tried to Google when, when I saw that, and I was like, is that related to Flushing Meadows? Like a, there is a place called Flushing Meadows, and it was used in Simpsons gag when he went to New York. Oh, which, right. which, which again sounds like a funny place. Just sounds like Fl- a field full Flushing of toilets. New York is sounds more funny than Flushing Meadows. But, okay, yeah. that's fair. Enough, just Flushing, but it, but no, Flushing Meadows is pretty funny. Yeah, yeah. Fl- fl- do you know what, guys? Toilets are funny. <laughs> Speaking to his adoring. Then again, we, there is a place in in this country called Cockermouth. So. Who are we to say? That's not even um, the most funny place name, but... No, lovely that, brewery, few breweries in Cockermouth. Yeah, seriously, there are plenty of articles online. We have some funny place names. Anyway, speaking to his adoring fans, Tony, after an ego-stroking speech, plays a video from 1974 of his late father, Howard Stark, introducing the city of the future. While his vintage presentation plays, Tony scans his blood, noticing that his blood toxicity is rising. On his way out, Tony greets his adoring fans before being served a subpoena from the Senate Arms Services Committee. Wasting no time, Stark and Happy Hogan drive to Washington, D.C. So, uh, I've mentioned it before. ACDC helped me see this film, obviously. The uh, using shoot to thrill over the skydiving scene was just perfect. And I love the way they it's, brought that song back in The Avengers. It was just... Yes! Great. It's an incredible song. It really is. And it works perfectly for things like this. Like, yeah. Uh, yeah. Great, great song. I remember um, reviewing the film at the time in uni, and I made a comment and noted how it's like an alternate world where arms expos are somehow rock concerts. <laughs> Have you ever been to one? No, I haven't. Never, I wonder if they. I wonder yeah. if they kind of work like this. I don't know. I, mean, I, 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 I've, I've, I've known guys who've gone over to the US and like gone to like arms expos. I think they met one. They met Arlie Ernie, which was very odd. Um, it feels like they're mer- they're merging it with things like um, the tech expos. Yeah, that sounds like what it, what it's doing here, which would make sense because it's more. It's a bit of both. But it just just feels like this whole rambunctious way to start off. It's like, dude, it's an arms ex- arms tech but I, expo. But I've seen mm-hmm. I've seen the um, footage from American like uh, pharmacy expos where they all the doctors are in there and the pharmacy companies are trying to sell them on the next drug. And it is like this. It is like a rock concert. Yeah. They play rock music. There's there's like not necessarily pyro, but there's there's light shows mm. and like it's all it's it's a big trying to be a big entertaining thing. To get you to buy, I don't understand how they do medicine over there. It's crazy. Yeah, but yeah. It's, it's different. It's different uh, sister. Also, uh, on that subject, it does remind me. Have you ever seen the video 
of Microsoft announcing Windows 95, yeah. and they say they danced yeah. to start up by the Rolling Stones, and it's just hilarious, yeah. awkward dad dancing. <laughs> Which we get later on in this. <laughs> Indeed we do. Also, I like obviously we get a Stan Lee cameo as Larry King, and he's got he's got the braces on. Yeah, we've had Larry King, and we get we've, we do we already have Hef? We have Hef in the last one? film. Hef in the last yeah. film. Yeah, and he's Larry King. God, great! I like the idea that he's actually like a a quantum leap guy. In yeah. The yeah, that Stanley is leaping into all these different people over the years, um, and we're the only ones that can see it's 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 Stan leaping into them. It's um, uh, hoping the next leap will be the leap home. Exactly. I, I love the way the whole Stanley thing is. It's like it's like almost a wink. It feels like that little weird wink to the audience that feels almost out of place, but feels at home at the same time. Love yeah. it. The next day, appearing before the Senate Armed Services Committee, Tony Stark dodges request by the government to turn over the Iron Man suit. While Senator Stern claims the Iron Man suit is a weapon and should be handed over to the government, Tony facetiously claims it's technically a prosthesis, which isn't exactly a lie. Stern introduces an expert on weapons, Justin Hammer, CEO of Hammer Industries. Speaking before the committee, Hammer claims that Tony Stark is wielding a dangerous weapon that he's asking everyone to just trust him to use correctly. Next, Colonel James Rhodes is brought into the chamber, much to Tony's surprise. Ordered to read out a report that he wrote, Rhodes states his belief that Iron Man does present some security risks, but is interrupted by Senator Stern when Rhodes goes on to talk about the benefits of Iron Man. Next, Rhodey presents the intelligence data that shows countries around the world trying to create their own version of the Iron Man suit. However, Tony, with access to better intelligence, hijacks the presentation. Showing secret footage from North Korea, Iran, and Hammer Industries, Tony proves that the attempts to replicate an Iron Man suit elsewhere have continuously failed and present no danger. Riding on his victory point, Stark states that he is the US's nuclear deterrent and has successfully privatised world peace to everyone in the audience applauding. Meanwhile, watching Stark's Senate Armed Service Committee on TV in his workshop, Ivan Vanko tests out his new arc reactor-powered whips that slice the television clean in two. So, as we said earlier, Sam Rockwell, love him. So good to see him in this. Absolutely mm. love him. Uh, I, the last thing I saw him in was uh, three, bo- bill- three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri, which... Oh, yeah, very different performance for him. Very different performance, but just a fantastic film from the same director and writer who did in Bruges and seven psychopaths. And then later after that went on to do uh, the Banshees of Inshirin, which is just tremendous. Uh, also, I liked, I've said, probably said this before and ever I talk about this, but I always say is the footage of the different Iron Man suits failing. Just, I just, I think they're doing Robocop too. They, 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 they look clunky. They uh, by design and they they yeah. they, they harm the some people. inspiration, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I had to go back and rewatch that uh, that scene in RoboCop two, and it's just the guy, the the one that rips its own head off, always freaked me out because of the stop motion animation, and there's just a in, skull oh, right. underneath. Yeah. It's like, oh no, no, no. Also, that in this one, when that last one, when the the suit twists around, I remember in the cinema watching that, and just like it's a, it left a bit of a bad taste in my mouth in that scene because I'm like, oh, that's mm. horrible, that's horrible. You would not want that to happen. No, I, I, you would not want that to happen. Also, I would not want to open up the suit afterwards. I'd be like, no, we're keeping him in there because I don't want to see it. Even if I live through that, Will, yeah. I don't think I'd want to see my ass all the time. <laughs> I don't think 
think <laughs> if I lived through it, I don't think I'd be very happy. I, um, uh, I, I'd be. I don't know. I'd have to. I'd be sat. I'd have to sit. I wouldn't like it. No. It's. it's no. We won't think about it. I'd be facing the back of the toilet all the time. Hmm. No, as I was trying to think of an advantage to that. There is none. Nothing ever happens at the back of the toilet. So, <laughs> Rob, do other people try to make their own Iron Man armor in the comic books? And if so, is it as bad as this? I don't know if he's... Well, um, yes, so we know of uh, the Crimson Dynamo. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Titanium Man is another Soviet version of Iron Man. Ah, uh, that rings a bell. Um, you may well have heard the Paul McCartney song about them, <laughs> um, which is uh, Magneto... Magneto and the Magnetic Men um, is the Magneto and the Metal Men is the name of the song, and it, or is it Magneto? Anyway, it's it, it's yeah, it's Wings. It's Paul McCartney who was a big Marvel comic book fan. I had no idea. And he idea. writes this song about Magneto and the Crimson Dynamo and the Titanium Man. I had no idea stuff. he was into Marvel. That's great. Yeah, there's, there's um, it's when it was played on their American tour, Wings tour, um, they would show, they would project images of. Titanium Man and Crimson Dynamo, Magneto, mm. um, behind them. And they even had um, Jack Kirby come to a, a show, sit front row, and go backstage and stuff. Not Stan Lee, so that's interesting. <laughs> uh, and, and Jack Kirby did not create the Crimson Dynamo, and I don't know if he did. He wouldn't have done Titanium, uh, Titanium Man either, because that's Don Heck. Anyway, um, so there are those. There's an X-Men character called the Cobalt Man, <laughs> who is another kind of inventor he has his own tech company and it's kind of said that he just he eventually got, you know was able to replicate what what tony stark did mm. but i don't think he ever fights iron man he just he just exi- ma- fights the x-men a couple of times just makes me think they're going through all the metals on the, ele- on the elements <laughs> table and going titanium and cobalt i will say cobalt cobalt sorry cobalt sounds way better than iron for, for a thing. it has a better kick to that name and then there's a period of time mm. when Tony discovers, after defeating a bad guy with really great armor called Force, <laughs> terrible name, he goes, he takes the armor apart and he goes, This is my design. Ooh. He's adapted my design. Ooh. And then he starts to do an investigation and he finds criminals like um, Stilt Man, <laughs> Yay! Uh, uh, Shockwave. The Beetle, um, the new Crimson Dynamo, the new Titanium Man, a bunch of other—all these tech-themed, cybernetic-themed characters, villains in the Marvel Universe—they've all got new armor that uses Stark tech design. And he also mm. finds the same for characters like Falcon, Stingray, the Guardsman. So somebody has stolen his designs and basically leaked them. First to the black market, and then they're out everywhere. Um, so there are all these copycats, and, and Iron Man goes on a, a rampage to disable all his designs so they're not in anybody else's hands, mm. even turning him against superheroes. Wow. Um, and it's called the Armor Wars. I was just about um, to ask, is this has anything to do with Armor Wars? Because that's going to be mm. coming out soon. If so, I'm really looking forward to that. So whether that plays a role, we don't know. Hmm. Back at Tony's mansion in Malibu, California, Tony monitors his blood toxicity, which has risen again. According to Jarvis, his AI butler, using the arc reactor is causing palladium poisoning. There's another metal. The device that is keeping him alive is also killing him. The next second, 
Pepper Potts, Tony's assistant, enters and complains about Tony's reckless use of the company's assets and funds. After a heated debate, Tony shocks Pepper after he appoints Pepper as CEO of Stark Industries. This isn't a rash decision, but one that Tony has thought about for a long time as he needs a successor. While Pepper is overcome with joy, the two toast her new role. Really glad to see they're still doing this great back and forth between them both because they got this great chemistry, uh, Gwyneth Paltrow and Robert Downey Jr. in his film. These films. For everything we said about this, all these ad-libbings have kind of made, you know, seem like they made a torturous production process. Robert Downey Jr. and John Favreau is gold and Robert Downey Jr. and Gwyneth Paltrow is gold and it all feels so snappy and improv mm. Um, that I mean, I think it's worth it. If it put a man in the hospital, I don't know, but I think it was worth it. It's great. <laughs> and he get there. They're like, they're like the the what was that building in Dubai? I don't the, know. It's the building. Burj Khalifa of, okay. of movies because it just puts people in hospital anyway. I was trying uh, to find a tenuous okay. link because of like the people who puts worked people in it. In ended up. Sure, I don't yeah. know. I really regret going down that road now. Okay, cool. Oh dear, we're going to back up. Uh, so, <clears throat> Pepper, does she have a prominent role like this in the comics? Does she ever become CEO? Because I can imagine it being a thing. Pepper, I think we, we, we would have mentioned this in our first Iron Man remastered. Um, she basically just fades out of the comic books mm. after the 60s. And, and there's a little bit of her in the 70s and stuff, but she's kind of gone, man. Um, and it's it's really uh, it, um, when they do the Civil War, she comes back at some point. She she basically she leaves. She marries Happy Hogan. They settle mm-hmm. down. They leave Tony Stark's madness behind. And then there's a decision made, and whether it's because they know that the Iron Man movie is coming out around the corner, I don't know. But what happens is um, uh, Happy sustains life threatening injuries. Uh, in a fight with an Iron Man villain called the Spy Master uh, during the Civil War in two thousand end of two thousand and seven, mm. um, and he's on life support and he doesn't wake up. And it, basically, what happens is they want Pepper back in the mix with Tony. They don't know how to resolve the fact that she's married to Happy Hogan, so she just have this bit where she just says to Tony, "I want you to turn off his life support because <laughs> he's obviously not waking up, and then I can go back to being." flirting with you and kind of being in the mix so mm. happy dies they turn off their life support and there we go but it, it kind of once this movie comes out sorry once the first Iron Man movie comes out that's what puts Pepper back into kind of the focus she doesn't really have any focus until the, the MCU begins um, and she's back being a personal assistant slash secretary um, she quickly gets badly injured in a terrorist explosion Mm. Um, multiple internal injuries, shrapnel wounds, um, and Tony saves her life by putting inside her a very strong magnet that appears like the arc reactor in the movies. The arc reactor is not a thing in the comics, but and basically turns Pepper into like how he used to be, a cyborg dependent on a magnet in her chest, keeping the shrapnel away from her heart. Mm-hmm. Now, the interesting thing about that is that her magnet and Tony's magnet were opposites. Oh. So there was a brief thing of they literally can't get close enough to kiss. Oh, the pe- wait a minute, wait a minute. There's, there's, 
always something keeping them apart, and it's the their magnets. They would actually have to be the same magnet. Oh my god. They would have to be the same magnet, Rob. That's how magnets work. Sure. You understand what I mean, though. It's repelling. The important if it, thing if they is were not opposites, the they would stick. Great. Cool. I'm very pleased for the science. Do you understand what I'm saying? I understand what you're saying, yes. And, and the wonderful kind of like little, little kind of imagery and yeah. theme going on there. That was a nice little bit. Nice little bit. Um, then there's a storyline where... Tony Stark is blamed for the Skrull invasion of Earth, a secret invasion. Mm. Um, and also, the Skrulls shut down his the tech running his body, the nanotech, the extremist running his body. He's 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 not doing very well. Norman Osborn takes over the the security of the entire country. He runs Shield. <laughs> yeah. And Tony has done the Superhuman Registration Act. Mm-hmm which means that he has a list of the secret identities of every superhuman in the country. And now he has to hand that over to Norman Osborn. <laughs> it was built on this idea of things like the Patriot Act and everyone going, well, it's all very well and good if we just assume the people in charge are going to be good. Yeah. What if the worst thing ever happens? And Marvel went, the worst thing ever happens is the Green Goblin replaces Nick Fury and Tony Stark and becomes the head of everything. So Tony has kept the list in his head, not on a drive anywhere. Ah, so he sets okay. he sets about wiping his own mind, d- destroying literally all his memories. Um, so that Osborne cannot get access to it. Um, and then he, in, in the process of doing that, he turns over um, Stark. Industries, Stark International, Stark Industries, to Pepper Potts to be the new mm. CEO. Um, and as he basically shuts his own mind down and goes into a coma, she's now the head of Stark Industries, and she also discovers a secret hidden room in Stark's office, which opens up to reveal a new suit of armor made especially for her. Ah. Uh... Right, that's where it comes in. With no offensive capabilities whatsoever, only um, search and rescue capabilities, and she occasionally wears it to save lives and becomes a a character called Rescue. I was about to say, that sounds like the the civilian model, (laughs) like when they talk Mm. about assault rifles. In Moscow, Ivan meets with an underworld contact who provides him with a forged passport and a ticket to the Monaco Grand Prix. Meanwhile, in Malibu, Tony and Happy Hogan spar in a boxing ring before Pepper introduces her new assistant, Natalie Rushman. Tony and Happy are immediately taken by Natalie's good looks. While Tony goes through Natalie's resume, Happy tries to teach Natalie some fighting moves, but is immediately taken down by Rushman, an expert fighter. Pepper and Tony are pleased at Natalie's ability and professionalism as she exits. Seeing seeing Natalie take down Happy was hilarious. That was great. He, he's yeah. speaking. Come on, yeah, I'll show you how to do it. And he's like, boom, 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 on the floor. Great. And that's his bodyguard. Gone. Gone. <laughs> so I take it Happy Hogan isn't Tony Stark's uh, bodyguard in the comics, or is he? Is he? Well, he's a he's his driver. Yeah. I think. Um, and he used to be a boxer. I think sometimes he's called a bodyguard. But Tony Stark's bodyguard in the original comics is Iron Man. Yes. Oh, I remember you saying this now, yeah. Iron Man's secret identity is preserved for many, many years, well through into past the 90s, um, into the 2000s. Mm. And for many, many years, the the explanation of what Iron Man is, 
who is this person with a metal suit of armor that's always protecting stark industries well the answer becomes i have a bodyguard and as a genius industrialist i have built my bodyguard a suit of incredible armor that lets him fly and protect my industries from those dirty commies and the kgb because <laughs> that was the main thrust of the series yeah. for many many years and as a uh, philanthropist i uh, rent out my bodyguard to the avengers who i also host i gave them a whole mansion that they can live in and uh, my bodyguard often works with them um so yeah the the, the bodyguard is uh, a big part of tony's secret identity mm. and over the years he never reveals the identity of his bodyguard the name um and sometimes when he's there's a couple of times when he's acted terribly and gone off his rocker as iron man and he goes iron man has died <laughs> i'm sorry to report it and they invent like a fake profile and goes this was iron man tim timsonson tim he's dead now we all mourn him but he did go mad and destroy those people and he shouldn't have done that anyway there's a new anonymous person being iron man don't ask to see his face He's definitely not me. I, and off we go into a new era. Iron Man is dead. Long live Iron Man. Pretty much, yeah. He's, <laughs> he's done that a few times. Fate Iron Man's death. Excellent. To escape prosecution <laughs> and war crimes a few times. So, yeah. Oh, boy. At Monaco, the city prepares for its historic Grand Prix. Tony Have you ever been to a Grand Prix? Well, have you ever been to a Grand Prix? I'm not much of a motor racing guy. I, I got friends who are into Formula One and whatnot. Have you? Uh, my dad was not anymore. They've changed the engines. <laughs> Can't hear him anymore. Electric engines. I'm interested. My dad, massive. My, my so my my granddad um, was a mechanic. He oh, nice. cars. Um, he worked in cars his whole life, except for the bit during World War Two when he worked on anti-tank guns in the desert. Amazing. Um, so my dad and my uncles all grew up uh, big petrol heads and big motor mm. motor racing enthusiasts and. Um, so I, I went to an awful lot of Grand Prix as, as a kid. Um, back before back before they were really big business, back, you could just walk through the paddocks of where the cars were. I remember doing that as a kid. Amazing. You could just walk up to the teams that were building the cars <laughs> and you'd see the drivers getting in and getting out. Like There was no security and now it's all fence off and VIP and yeah. tickets cost loads of money. But as a kid, I remember going to an awful lot of um, Silverstone uh, Grand Prix and things. And I, I've never been, I'm afraid I've never been interested. I saw disappointment to my dad. I, I have distinct memories of sleeping through Grand Prix because you have to get up so early to go there yeah. and things. And that's, that's, my, that's, sis yeah, my sister kind of liked it, but I just never. I'd always be taking comic. I'd be sat in front of a Silverstone Grand Prix in Britain reading comic books bored out of my mind unless I'm reading. Yeah, sorry. I just started to interject with that. No, no, a, no, no. I mean, very, very British thing, the Grand Prix. There's the thing. It's like... I've never been, but from what I can see, it's just you're just waiting for cars to go past really yes. fast, and then it's nothing Correct. for ages. It's like I yeah, I don't know. I quite like. I, I got into I got into rally racing um, oh, yeah. in, as a teenager, and went with the, with, with some friends and things. My dad took me to some proper rally things, and that was there was a camping element to going to see a rally, yeah. uh, a touring touring car rally show. Um, and you're, I mean, there's no security. You are you you know you have to stand back because otherwise a car might hit you. I've seen and a was, car rolling over. I've seen footage of a car rolling over in a rally, and it's like being wow. that close was thrilling, and yeah. I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, that's good. Anyway, anyway, sorry, going down a hole here. 
Tony arrives to cheering fans outside his hotel and makes his way through the press entourage. At the bar, Tony is uneasily greeted by Justin Hammer, who also congratulates Pepper on her recent promotion. Accompanying Justin is reporter Christine Everhart, who reported on Iron Man, as well as having a casual fling with Tony. Excusing him... Taking out the trash. That was the taking out the trash line from the first movie. Oh, yeah, that was it. Pepper Pepper kicks her out of the house, and she goes, oh, do you just... Is that what you do? You fetch us coffee? And she's like, I also take out the trash. (laughs) Be gone from here. Great line. Excusing himself, Tony goes to the bathroom and is despondent to see his blood toxicity level is now over 50%. Time is running out, but Tony refuses to spend his remaining time alive being boring. That's me every time I get a cholesterol check. (laughs) (laughs) Oh boy, oh boy. Uh, Here we have a little, uh, little cameo from Elon Musk. A.K.A. Phony Stark, who also who joins Donald Trump in the rich people making odd cameos in films who later go on to be awful people category. I think whatever you think of that man, you've got to uh, admit he has flushed his kind of like general public reputation down the toilet. Yeah. Um, for between the, this movie, this movie was being made. This made sense. He he was he was adored at this point. He was adored. when he made his cameo in Rick yeah. and Morty. It didn't make as much sense. Yeah, and then by now it's the weird thing to see. Please don't write in and tell me how much you love Elon Musk. I don't care. (laughs) Anyway, on the Grand Prix track, Tony surprises everyone when he uses his sway to take over driving the USA's car in the race. Justin and Pepper are shocked to see this, with Pepper ordering Natalie to get happy and put a stop to this. The race begins, but unbeknownst to everyone, one of the pit crew is Ivan Vanko. As Tony gains a lead in the race, Ivan strides out onto the track, walking into the path of the oncoming racing cars. Tearing open his boiler suit, he reveals an arc reactor strapped to his chest, as well as two electrified whips in each hand. As the arc reactor turns on, his boiler suit burns away. With a ferocious whip, Ivan cuts a speeding race car in half, causing it to crash. Realising that Tony is in danger, Happy and Pepper get into their car and drive onto the race course. I really loved... uh, Anton's, uh, sorry, Ivan. I, I, I had a thing with my notes where I accidentally wrote Anton for the whole of it. Uh, I really loved uh, Ivan's entrance. Oh, incredible! Just, just great, slow, incredible, badass. Does something big. The like, oh, boiler oh. suit burning away. That was such a great. I so that. cool. It looked so cool. It was um, the only time I've ever seen a weapon like that. Was an old uh, William Gibson cyberpunk novel from the eighties. Where it, I think it, I think it was actually Johnny Mnemonic, funnily enough, which then got turned into a terrible film. Uh, there was there was a thing called like a like a microfiber thing. It was an incredibly thin microfiber whip that can slice through anything. Mm. So it's like it's da- it's a dangerous piece of kit, and someone had it like in a, in a fake <clears> finger <throat> that would they would they would pull out and then whip from their hand. I think what's really spectacular. I mean, this is a whole spe- This whole scene is spectacular. Mm. This is this is this is um, this is. The best set piece in the MCU to date. Yes, I, I, I mean the the Tony fight in the, um, the the things in the in the Middle East is is good, mm. um, but this is the best. It's big. It's really bright. It's outdoors. Things like that to me make mm. a difference. Yep, yep. The spectacle of slicing Grand Prix cars in half, Formula One cars in half. Also, a lot of it is advanced bystanders, which always raises tension. And I think there's something about this that because whiplash 
in the comic books is not a major villain. He's a henchman. Mm. He's a henchman, right? He's a powered henchman, but he's just a henchman. But this, when you take, when you take what, and and you you kind of just massively overlook. Whiplash is generally speaking the kind of guy that Iron Man, you know, you know, Iron Man is never going to have any trouble with, and you're mm. kind of just waiting for the mastermind to reveal himself. But when you take that kind of character and and do a thing of trying to film that in the in the quote unquote real world, like what would it actually what what a spectacle it would be if a guy had this kind of energy whip that could just slice through <laughs> cars and tanks and buildings, yeah. and you you put that and you go, oh wow, yeah. like that's. I want to see more of that. I really want to see more of that. Anyone I'm not would, waiting for anything else. I'm like, that's cool. Yeah, any, anyone who has a weapon that can cause that kind of creative destruction to something, you're always, oh my god, I want to see this in action. It reminds me, uh, did you ever play Metal Gear Solid Two? No, mate. There was a boss who basically had a railgun, and you had to hide behind the metal crates. But every every time they shot, the shots would go through the metal crates, and they would be like, you know, an open basically a straight hole in the crates with it burst open. This is like in the early noughties. So at the time, it looked incredible. So it's that same kind of feeling of, oh my God, look at the destruction they're causing. This this almost surgical destruction of these holes going through the box. metal box. <laughs> metal crate, a metal crate, Rob. Oh, okay. Like a shipping container. Okay. Okay, not a right. box, not a cardboard box. They're not- you didn't, it, I didn't, I, I gotta say, I don't really think that's, <laughs> that doesn't sound like a big spectacle at all to me. For games in the early noughties, it was, if you look really closely <laughs> okay, at it, it's really okay. good. Okay, cool. Dodging oncoming race cars, Happy drives at full speed on the track to reach Tony, but it's too late as Tony's race car reaches, reaches Whiplash, Venko slices the front of the car off, causing it to flip in a crash that nearly kills Tony. As Ivan slowly approaches Tony, who is struggling to get free, several other race cars skid out of control trying to dodge Vanko and cause an explosive crash. Everyone watches on in horror. As Happy drives closer, Pepper starts to unlock Tony Stark's case in a panic. At the car wreckage, Ivan starts to slice the vehicle apart, but is surprised when Tony approaches from him, him from behind and whacks him on the back of the head with a piece of debris. However, this does not deter Ivan, who starts whipping at Tony, causing Stark to flee before crashing into one of the other wrecked cars, which is leaking petrol all over the road. Ivan approaches Tony, revving up his attack, but at the last minute, Tony dodges out of the way as as Ivan whips ignites the petrol, causing the wreck to explode. But this does not deter Vanko, who continues approaching until Happy, arriving just in time, Rams his car into Vanko, crushing him against the barrier. So this is very intense to watch because he's Tony's in a very vulnerable position, and it's like mm. the that he would get cut in half. Basically, he would he would instantly die if he got hit. So it's like, oh my god, stay, keep keep your distance. I think, um, yeah, what this really shows, I think, in both the MCU and in comic books, mm. is that. Unfortunately, over the progression of time, as we need to do more and more things and bigger, bigger things to entertain and thrill audiences, mm. it's inescapable that these characters just become more and more and more powerful. Yeah. And that's at a detriment to storytelling. Yeah. I mean, you want a Tony Stark that is vulnerable. Yeah. You want a Tony Stark that 
has to desperately if he hasn't got his armor near him that there's a scenario where someone's attacking him without his armor and he could die he can get effed up he could get it's really bad that tension is dramatic by the time we get to infinity war he's wearing nanotech all the time <laughs> right <laughs> yeah. and so and the, yeah. the armor gets so advanced and uh, that I, I don't the comic books are usually pretty good at whenever there's um and it, or they were, I think, up until up until perhaps the two thousands. Whenever there's an advancement in the armor, mm. there's also an e- almost an equal or bigger detriment going on somewhere mm. to do with how the armor works or the effect it has. Or you know, there's always something that by the end of the story about Tony Stark's invented the best armor in the world and he can do all these. Five issues later, you go, oh no! Every time I wear it, a horse dies, <laughs> and so and so he eventually abandons it and goes back to being kind of a bit more basic and a bit more regular. Mm. They tend to cycle through that with Iron Man. There's an awful lot of, of story arcs that will eventually kind of reset the character and slightly depower him to go back to the stage where you want someone that's a bit more vulnerable. Yeah, um, and. You know, there's an awful lot of character that you know Wolverine, as we've talked about, just eventually becomes this unkillable warrior god. When <laughs> in the comics, the thing that made Wolverine so popular was his vulnerability. Mm. Um, and uh, yeah, it'd be nice to see a little bit more of that. In, in, in I mean, he's dead now, Tony Stark. There you go. He's dead. Spoiler alert. Well, we already covered the episode. Well, no, we haven't covered that one yet. Jeez. So, uh, also, I really loved them driving Tony's posh car onto the track and dodging the races that was a nice little touch yeah. that was genuinely hectic to watch so how powerful is whiplash in the comics can he slice a car apart because you've said he's basically a henchman which leads me to believe that he is not this powerful oddly enough i would no i'd, I'd say i'd say but i'd say both those things are true you could slice a car in half in marvel comics and still just be like you're a high-powered henchman uh, but you're gotcha. not you're more powerful than a guy with a gun, like a Batman hench, henchman, mm. you know. But I'm trying to think what would be a good example in the Batman. You know, Spider-Man villains are kind of... Spider-Man and Batman villains, there's a lot of similarities to them. Mm. Like, Mr. Freeze is a guy with a gun. which freezes things, yeah. right? He, he, he's not... Depends on how he's writing, how he's written, I suppose. <laughs> but a lot of the... There are different tiers of kind of Spider-Man villains. There's... The guy's like the scorpion. Scorpion's like, you wouldn't say Scorpion is a henchman, but he's also not like in the same class as like the Green Goblin or Venom or. Yeah. He's not a top tier villain. Yeah. Um, Rhino is the same. Um, you know, they're kind of more thuggish villains. Uh, and, and I'd say Whiplash is probably, you know, he can. The Rhino can smash the hell out of a of a building, out of a car. He can dent a tank, but he's not like a top tier villain. Whiplash is probably the same. Yeah. Um, so the Mark Scolotti version, the the, the mafia uh, version of of um, of Whiplash, uh, he's got these. They are titanium whips that can extend. Um, they can deflect bullets. Um, they can become nunchucks. They can even go very rigid and become vaulting poles to <laughs> leap over obstacles. Amazing. Um, and um, the energy that he generates can I. I I'd, I'd, I'd say I don't know if they we could cleanly cut through a car completely, mm. but they will destroy a car. But yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and then the Anton Vanko version of the character, the new, the new kind of version for this movie, um, has this this kind of suit of armor as well as the whips, and they very much can. They can 
completely cut through a car because th- that version of the character is based on this movie sort of mm. um so that newer version of whiplash um yeah is 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 roughly the same as what we see here okay. so it's probably a, his whips are are are, are stronger and more powerful than the original one gotcha gotcha cool as Tony, Happy and Pepper yell at each other for Tony's reckless uh, behaviour and Happy almost running Tony over, Anton's equipment revives him. Sorry, Ivan's equipment revives him. And I've, <laughs> I, I thought I sorted this out in my notes, but here I am. And slices the car's front door in half as Tony is about to get in. As Happy tries to continuously ram Ivan in the barrier, this prevents Tony, uh, sorry, this prevents Pepper from giving Tony his case. The next second, Ivan slices the car in half, allowing Pepper to throw the case at Tony. Opening the case and stepping on it, the latest version of the Iron Man suit unfolds and attaches itself to Tony, suiting him up. Kicking the car away to safety, Iron Man fights Venko, whose electric whips are more of a challenge than he expected. However, Iron Man resists the whips long enough to use them against Venko, throwing him to the ground and removing the Russian's arc reactor. I... (coughs) Police officials rush. <laughs> what? <laughs> I thought you were getting to do in the name mix up. Yeah, no, no, I've, I've written something That's funny, ridiculous. Uh, police f- officials rush in and take Ivan into custody, who laughs at Tony. Watching the scene unfold on television from the bar, a sinister grin appears on Justin Hammer's face. So I love that suit-up scene. The way it unfolds from the case is just sublime. That's I, I that like like my strongest memory of. Um... One of my strongest memories of reading Iron Man as a kid, because I, I got to grow up reading uh, my dad's old comics from the 60s, mm. which one of the main stories, black and white reprint of the American story, and it was all the Iron Man stories from the 60s. And I, So I'm growing up reading them, but I'm also get, getting to read the full colour, like 1980s and, and 1990s comics as well. And one of my strongest memories is that, yeah, Iron Man, 80s Iron Man and early 90s Iron Man, the big deal was made out of he has his armor concealed in an attache case. Yeah. The, you think of the, the, the yuppies and the, the kind of the business <laughs> kind of like chic of the 80s. The attache case was a big deal. And it, it kind of had a spy element to it. There was, Bond always had some gadget in his attache case. Um, well, Tony Stark had a, a foldable, collapsible suit of armor. Um, and seeing him get it get it out of the suit or put the suit on and ah, I loved it. I just adored it. It was so cool. I loved as a kid, I don't know about you, but I really loved that kind of transformation thing. I love the bat pole in Batman. Secret, hidden hidden stuff, gadgety stuff. I love that transformation. I love the Iron Man. Yeah. From the suit, from the suitcase. I loved that. Um, Yeah. And I always enjoyed buying toys where you could have, I had a, um, a Bruce Wayne that you had clip-on um, parts that would turn him into Batman. Oh, that's really cool. And I had a Tony Stark as well. I had <laughs> This came from the um, cartoon series, the, the 90s Iron Man cartoon yeah. series. I had this Tony Stark that had Tony Stark's face and the mustache and everything, um, and he had an odd, an odd outfit that was kind of yellow and red. But then you'd clip on the gauntlets, the boots, the chest plate, and put the helmet on over the top and clip it into place. And I loved that as a kid. That kind of change stuff was had a real appeal to me. Excellent, excellent. So as well as this different way of constructing the Iron Man armor onto him, we, we're seeing a new 
Iron Man armor as well in this uh, silver and red armor. I take it as something from the comics because we've seen quite a few varieties of the armor. Yeah, this is my all-time favorite Iron Man armor. Nice. Um, that came about in the mid '80s. So when I'm reading comics uh, later on in the '80s, it, it's still around. And I, and I, to me, this was the kind of the Iron Man of my early childhood. Um, but I, I did know it was a, an update and a change because again, I'm, I'm reading the the old '60s stuff, mm. and then I get to read this with the silver and the red and silver, the silver centurion armor. It's known as yeah, um, and. Uh, yeah, it 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 it's a it's a very so this period of time in the eighties where we had the Hulk was grey and wore mm. a suit called Mister Fix It, <laughs> and Thor had on a completely different set of blue and gold armor with a face mask, uh, kind of a face plate covered. We had Spider Man in the black and white suit in the eighties uh, and into the nineties. We had. Steve Rogers was the captain. He wasn't Captain America mm. in a black, uh, red, and white costume with a different shield. And we had Silver Centurion Iron Man. It really felt like the 80s was this period of a real kind of re- redesigning all the big characters and going this very eight- this kind of 80s look. Um, yeah, the Silver Centurion armor, 1985, it's introduced. It's originally built um, by Tony Stark so that he can battle against the much bigger and more powerful Obadiah Stane's Ironmonger armor. Mm. It prevailed. Um, and then as we go into the armor wars, it's he has to keep making updates to it because he has to have a suit of armor that can defeat all of his other previous versions of armor that have been used by all these villains and good guys over the yeah. years. So it has... Um, a giant laser called a heat lance. Ooh, uh, it, so it's like a big laser sword, would it be? Um, it 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 doesn't it doesn't actually form up like you imagine, like a lightsaber, mm. because it doesn't. I don't imagine it, it has anything you can clang against. Yeah, but it is a big heat. Yeah, yeah, it's a big, very hot energy laser. It was the first Iron Man armor to have a force field. Ah, oh, like like a laser thing on the outside, yeah. A, f- a force, force field. field, yeah, 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 yeah. I don't, I don't know the science of it, mate, but it was yeah. a force field that stopped things from getting to him. Now, mm. that it, it, but it couldn't maintain it forever. It was a short burst force field. Mm. He couldn't just turn the force field on and nothing could ever touch him. <laughs> um, but if he knew a big missile was coming in, bang, he could throw up a force field. Mm. It would explode, needed time to recharge. Um, it also had, and this was the big deal, the chameleon effect. If It would only work if he's standing still. <laughs> he could turn invisible. It could turn invisible, okay. Um, which, so you think of all the stuff involved in that, this, this gorgeous-looking color change red and silver armor um had a massive laser had a force field it can turn invisible perfect um it the 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 flip side of that is that it was so powerful um it was it caused tony stark intense pain to use because of the way he had to control it with his brain waves and stuff like that to help him work it and armor it. it just there's always that kind of payoff. It, yeah. it was incredible, but after a while, it was like we can't really have an invisible force field wielding Iron Man going around. You made him um, too powerful. I, <laughs> I loved it. I loved it. That does sound cool. 
Visiting Ivan in custody, the police tell Tony Stark that they can't find any details on the uh, mysterious Russian at all. In, in Vanko's cell, Vanko tells Tony that the Starks are a family of thieves and butchers who have destroyed many lives. Uh, Tony asks Ivan how he managed to build an arc reactor, with Vanko telling him that his father, Anton, helped create it. While Tony tells Vanko that he took his shot and missed, Ivan tells Stark that he was successful. He proved to the world that Iron Man is not invincible. As Tony makes his way out, Ivan tells Stark that the palladium in the chest is a painful way to die, revealing his knowledge about Tony's weakness. On the plane ride home, Pepper Potts realises something is wrong with Tony and asks him to tell her, but Tony dodges the question and tries to charm Pepper with ideas for a vacation, but she can see through him. Bit frustrating. I know you're going to say, like, no, it's part of the plot, but it's a bit frustrating that they just can't, Tony just can't tell Pepper, look, I'm probably going to die from this arc reactor, so I want to have all my ducks in a row before I go. It's meant to be frustrating, yeah. It's meant to, it's I, meant to make you frustrated and kind of go, come on, Tony! Yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's, it's that typical thing, but I'm saying, at the same time, I'm just going, like, so many problems could have been <laughs> averted. Yeah. In Anton's cell, the Russian... Re- sorry, in... I'm so annoyed that I've done this. I actually went through it and double-checked as well. In Ivan's cell, the Russian received a note as well as a lump of plastic explosives disguised as mashed potatoes. The next second... I've had some mashed potatoes hey. that tasted like they were lumps of uh, plastic explosives. I thought, you about, you. I thought you were about to say, I've had some mashed potatoes that mm, did some pretty explosive stuff. <laughs> I thought that was uh, going Do you remember them. Smash? Are you, old, are you young enough, old enough to have Smash as a kid? I never had Smash, but I know about Smash. Is it that yeah. bad? Is it as bad as I can imagine? I liked Smash. As a child, I liked Smash because it had salt. It already had salt in it, and we uh, were yeah. quite a low salt household. So I, I liked Smash because it was salty and tasted nice. A low salt household. Um, I've never heard that one before. We just didn't. Uh, there just wasn't kind of... I wasn't in charge. <sighs> Look, my parents are from an era of rationing. Ah, um, yeah, Americans, go. if you don't know what rationing is, it what happens when you don't pull your finger out in time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they grew up in a nation that was blighted by the after effects of the Second World War and rationing. And as a result, hmm. God bless them, both my parents don't do seasoning. <laughs> Um, an awful lot of, of what Americans criticise British food for is a direct result of them not getting stuck in in World War II sooner uh, because we have entire generations that grew up with rationing. Yeah, um, yeah, that makes sense now. So, yeah, growing up, there wasn't an awful lot of taste in some of the food and stuff, yeah. Um, and so if we had mashed potato made at home, there would be no butter used in it or salt and pepper used in it. It would just literally be mashed potatoes. Yeah. So smash was... When I go to a friend's house and there was smash, oh, it had salt in it. Oh, my God. Incredible. Yeah. It, it, it makes me think of, like, it's, sometimes there's still, like, British cooking that, like, you know, confirms that stereotype. And I remember one meme that went, some Brits eat like there's German bombers flying overhead. Yep. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> like, my... My, 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 there was a genuine thing of, of my parents both sort of said what they associate seasoned meat with mm. is old meat that somebody has used lots of seasoning on to detract from the fact that it's slightly gone off. So it's just a, a reaction oh, to a childhood and, and, a, and a youth of going, no, 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 good meat shouldn't have any seasoning on it whatsoever. Amazing. Because if it has seasoning on it, it means that the ration book has run out <laughs> and you've got to make last Tuesday's meat go a bit further, all that kind of stuff. 
I really enjoyed this Marvel podcast, but could you please stop talking about mashed potato? Four out of five. <laughs> They've got a good point. I'm sorry, guys. Anyway, the next second, a prisoner enters wearing the same uniform number and looking vaguely similar to him. Ivan knocks out the prisoner and sets the timer for the plastic explosives before a guard hands him the key to his cell. As Ivan escapes, the bomb detonates, faking his death. On his way out, he breaks the neck of a guard, but is apprehended by several other guards who put a bag on his head and put him in the back of a van. Waking up, Ivan is surprised to be in a very pristine aircraft hangar with Justin Hammer sitting at an expensive dinner table greeting him. As Ivan is sat down for an expensive meal, Justin charms the Russian, slowly revealing that they both want the same thing, Tony Stark. According to Justin, Ivan needs someone with resources, someone like Justin Hammer. Ivan smiles and agrees to work with Justin on one condition. Ivan wants his pet bird brought to him from Russia. Makes me think, is that Ivan or is that Mickey Rourke wants that? <laughs> so weird. So weird. At least they didn't do what uh, Marlon Brando did in that film where he wore a bucket on his head and had a little person dressed the same next to him. Yeah. yeah. So it's not the most, de- uh, speaking of Rook, it's not the most um, demanding performance, but Rook feels like he slept in a dusty workshop for years living on vodka and cigarettes. It's like he, he, he could be that guy. Yeah, yeah, it's it's uh, yeah, appearance. I don't know if appearance is the right thing, but you're right. Yeah, he does encapsulate this kind of feel, doesn't he, of the character? I imagine if I was in the same room, I'd get this immense uh, with him like that. I mean, not not him usually. If I was in the same room with him like that, it'd be like like all I can smell is uh, cheap aftershave and a shed. Mm, Yeah. (laughs) So, is there any alliance in the comics between Justin Hammer and Whiplash? Yeah, big. Big, big, long association right throughout the, the 1980s. Wow. Um, so, uh, Justin Hammer, born in Surrey. Surrey. Um, yeah. yeah, English Englishman. Um, and then becomes this, and then moves abroad, and then also Monaco, I think he moves to. Mm. Uh, tax haven. That's where they all go. <laughs> um, but he, he, as well as a businessman, he becomes a criminal financier. Um, mm. So, he, um, he uses his Hammer Industries as a front... Um, and in exchange for fifty percent of the profits of the crimes, he um, provides equipment, um, and he pays bail for costume criminals, and he'll finance their their equipment and their costumes and all that sort of stuff. Um, and then he gets half your take. Mm. Um, a little bit like we kind of discussed the hobgoblin at one point. Um, oh yes, although I remember. Yeah, the, the hobgoblins literally selling you a franchise. Mm, that was it. <laughs> uh, you are the green blade. Here's your green blade. Here's your green costume. I want half. Um, yeah, and and if anyone kind of breaks the contract, doesn't pay, he his enforcement his enforcer was often uh, Whiplash, mm, um, okay. who. Around this time, was no longer calling himself Whiplash, was calling himself Black Lash. I don't know why. He that gained... sounds like the worst cheap lager you could ever find in a shop. <laughs> he gains a green ponytail, a better-looking <laughs> costume, a purple mask, a purple cape, okay. um, a green ponytail, but for some reason changes the name to Black Lash. I always thought it should be Backlash. Like here's the backlash on you. I don't know. It just say, backlash doesn't. Oh, kind of make, is, is, is uncomfortable super, to say. His superpower is saying unpopular things on Twitter. Ah, backlash. <laughs> Sorry, that's bad. 
So, yeah, um, he gets hired. But uh, Justin Hammond puts together a team, like a, a few teams to, to like attack Tony Stark and stuff over the years. And mm. it's normally uh, Whiplash along with the Melter. Remember him? Uh, and someone like Blizzard. Blizzard teams up with them quite a lot. So, yeah, quite a long association okay. um, between between those two over the years. And uh, it's just like working, working for like a, a powerful mob boss sort of. I'd really love to see uh, Sam Rockwell's Justin Hammer to return. I really would. I think Armor Wars would be the perfect, perfect thing for him to return. Anyway. Yeah. At Stark's home, Pepper and Natalie deal with the press fallout from the Monaco incident as the world media now doubts Tony's claim that Iron Man is invincible. Senator Stern also appears in a TV interview gloating over Stark's failure. That's a weird thing. Senator Stern played by uh, Jerry... uh, What's the, what's the name of the, uh, the, the that show he the actor was in? I don't know, buddy. I that, can't uh, think. That, that, that show you like, uh, San, San, Jer- Larry Sanders. Larry right, Sanders. Larry Sanders. Yeah, because yeah, uh, yeah, it's, it's him. Who's, it's Larry Sanders. Always just found that weird because he's more of a comic guy, you know, comedian. Now he's just like this serious. Yeah, guy. I, I can't. I never been able to understand why <laughs> he's in these movies. That's it, Gary Shandling. He goes on, Gary yeah. Shandling. He's in he's in uh, Winter Soldier and stuff as well. And yeah, yeah. I I don't get it, and I don't know because he's a really interesting philosophical meditative dude. Mm. Um, he has a very interesting approach to life. Any interview with him is fascinating. Um, just on a on a base level, if you check out his um, his edition of uh, Comedians and Cars Getting Coffee with Jerry Seinfeld, that's really really interesting. Mm. Um, but yeah, I I don't understand the thought. I don't know of him to do any other dramatic role. <laughs> it's mad, absolutely yeah. mad. James Rhodes enters, demanding to know where Tony is. In Stark's workshop, Jarvis informs Tony about Anton Vanko's work with Howard Stark as well as Ivan Vanko, who was previously arrested for selling weapons-grade plutonium. Rhodesy interrupts and tells Tony that the government is close to barging down his door and taking away the Iron Man suits, seeing as Ivan has proven that the technology can be made elsewhere. A jury Tony almost collapses with Rhodey helping, him, uh, helping Stark over to another desk where he replaces the palladium in his arc reactor. Rhodesy notice. I gotta say, <laughs> what the Palladium is a wonderful theatre that you perform at. I think <laughs> this is Palladium. Palladium. Oh, uh, yeah, whatever. <laughs> but I, I aluminium, like, aluminium. I quite like that he's being poisoned by the Palladium. <laughs> Live at the Palladium, Tony Stark's death. The three stars in Chortle are being poisoned by the Palladium. <laughs> <laughs> I loved it when Morecambe and Wise played inside Tony Stark's veins. <laughs> Let's carry on. What a weird reference. <laughs> what a weird reference that is. Anyway, a jury Tony almost collapses with Rhodesy helping Stark over to another desk where he replaces the palladium in his arc reactor. Rhodesy notices that Tony is in bad shape, commenting on a very alarming vein mark on Stark's neck. While Rhodes offers help, Stark arrogantly rebuffs, stating that he knows exactly what he is doing. I'm loving the drug addict touches with the veins on his neck and, and, and his refusal of help they're really going for that subtext here yeah I mean, it's beyond alcoholism this is deeper this is like you know well sure but it's only an an, an allusion to it's not it's, actual drug I, I, so I, if you're I doing meant, alcoholism yeah you're doing alcoholism which yeah. they don't want to do this is a science fiction thing so they can kind of do a theme without actually mm. getting a mom to not buy a toy ba 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 
But if you put uh, a Tony Stark figure in hot water, the veins appear <laughs> on the neck. That's a great story. Don't forget to inject your Tony Stark action figure in directly in the neck once a day. Yeah, and take out the fresh palladium with whatever gunk comes off. Anyway, so we know about the alcoholism, but does he have any health problems like this in the comics? Well, yeah, um, from his origin, he has that shrapnel forever moving closer to his heart. Mm. And the reason he has to build the Iron Man armor in the first place is to stay alive. He doesn't build an arc reactor. Mm. He builds, essentially, an iron lung that he has to wear. An iron lung is an old bit of medical equipment that wasn't phased out. You still see some of them. Yeah, um, yeah. I, it'd be funny if if he just called himself Iron Lung instead. The Iron Lung. The iron so lung, yeah. it's this big the the breast. He has to wear the breastplate, which goes from the clavicle down to the to the waist, and he has to wear it all the time in the original '60s stories. Um, because it has a powerful magnet that mm. keeps the shrapnel in place to stop it from moving through his heart and killing him. Um, so the, the 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 big part of Tony Stark's secret identity um, in in the early stories is that he's always he can't you know he's always wearing this breastplate, um, and it always needs charging up as well. Mm. It's not like it, he's forever feeling weak and collapsing and fainting, and people think he's eccentric and not eating and not sleeping properly he's forever having to dash into a room and literally plug himself into the main socket um to to charge up the magnet the breastplate to keep that shrapnel from shredding his heart it's um yeah so that that's a a big big theme throughout the 1960s bloody hell at hammer industries justin introduces ivan to his legion of metal suits Without asking, Ivan accesses Justin's weak computer system and rips the head off one of the suits. Despite this, Justin is confident that Ivan is the guy to help Hammer Industries finally trump Stark. Right from the get-go, don't you yeah. get the impression that Ivan is completely in control of this relationship? Absolutely. I mean, that's and exactly Justin, what I got from this, yeah. Justin thinks that he's he's the guy because he's got the money. He's But Ivan is just steamrolling the whole thing, and Ivan... Yeah, it's it's a great performance from both these guys to mm. give these subtleties and, and 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 convey that without ever saying it. Yeah, it it, it it it's a very good pairing. This that evening at Stark's home, Tony prepares to host what he believes will be his final birthday party. Natalie helps him get ready, and when Tony asks what she would do if this was her last birthday, she responds, "I'd do whatever I'd want to do with whoever I want to do it with." That evening, the party is in full swing with the very drunk Tony Stark wearing his Iron Man suit, making a fool of himself in front of his cheering guests. Arriving outside, Rhodesy tells his military contacts over the phone that he will ensure Tony falls in line on his I way gotta in. i got to say, it's, it's, it's not Rhodesy. It's Rhodey or it's Rhodes. Rhodesy oh, okay. is a new nickname you've given this this man in, our, in this episode. Old Ro- Rhodesy. <laughs> Rhodesy sounds like he works uh, down at the market. Rhodesy, you, you know Rhodesy, yeah, Rhodesy, Rhodesy down the market, Rhodey, Rhodey, Rhodes, Rhodey. <laughs> On his way, Rhodes passed Pepper, who shows Rhodes a very drunken Iron Man falling over into a drinks cabinet. Pepper calms an angry Rhodey and says she'll ha- and says uh, <clears throat> and says he'll handle it. Yeah, I, I, 
I, I don't know about you. I do not want to be at a party with a drunken Tony Stark in an Iron Man suit because that's just asking for trouble. I don't know. That's... It seems like it would be a lot of fun for at least two hours. <sighs> I, I'd be there worrying like, oh, oh he, he fired his blaster off just near me. Oh, I better go. Uh, also, I, I feel like this is a good thing. I mean, we might have touched on this earlier in the notes, but Robert Downey Jr. is the right actor for for what, what will be a tale of redemption from drunken behaviour, given his personal life of, uh, um, you know, the kind of reckless uh, behaviour and whatnot? Uh, I don't know that... I understand... I, I know what you mean. There's an example of... of uh, there's, to me, there is no arc in changing reckless behaviour. <laughs> there's no arc in changing there's no addiction okay. arc in this if he is addicted right. to uh dangerous kind of erratic behavior as as there are examples of in in the start mm. of it where is the resu- resolution of this there isn't any he invents something that makes him better <laughs> like there's not a moment where he goes i need to start acting more responsibly yeah, i need to look after myself yeah, i need yeah. to think about the people around me i need to believe that i am worth there's none of that he invents a science fiction thing that he plugs into himself and he goes, I'm better now. I'm still going to fight bad guys in a metal suit. Okay, so, maybe, 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 the, maybe just the drunk and reckless behavior bit. Maybe Robert Downey he, Jr. is the one who... Yeah. Sure, absolutely. He, he, he did that in his own life and now we see him do it on stage, on screen. He's like, oh, look, method acting. So I take it alcohol plays a, there's quite a role in the Iron Man comics. I mean, even with that bonus episode uh, on The Ultimates... There was uh, <laughs> there was mm. there was some boozing in there. Yeah, I mean, if you want to check more of that out on patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel, it's an uh, it's a, a version of Tony Stark who literally says he can't get into the Iron Man suit and pilot it without being drunk because it's that scary. <laughs> um, in 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 the in the regular Marvel universe, um, there's a Two writers, David Michelin and, and Bob Layton, who, who write Iron Man in the 70s. Um, mm. There's a vaunted, uh, well-thought-of series, uh, comic book storyline that we've talked about, kind of p- people hoping to base this movie on, called Demon in the Bottle, which mm. takes place in, in 1979. But really, there's a, there's a kind of a build-up to that. The, it, the, Tony's drinking um, goes on a lot more in the background of other stories. And more, more slight is paid attention to it, um, and then things ramp up as stress becomes um, huge in, in in Tony's life. Mm. Um, so we have a bit more of a natural progression towards what is going to be a, a a big science fiction action story. Tony is framed for murder, um, and when that happens, and he struggles to get people to believe him, his his drinking escalates even more um to the point where once he's fired from the avengers and accused of murder and all this his drinking gets out of control um and he starts to drink to forget his problems and to using alcohol as a solution um to a problem um uh, Tony Stark's girlfriend at the time is a uh a young woman called Bethany Cable um Mm. is it Bethany Cable is it Cable or is Cable the other one? Mm, or is it? No, yeah, it's Cord. It is Bethany Cable. Um, so Beth uh, confronts him about his drinking problem mm. uh, and tells a story about her former husband who became addicted to drugs to deal with his own insecurities and, and, and 
problems in the relationship. It ended their relationship, and it eventually killed him. Um, mm. And she sort of says, I was too young and immature and didn't know how to help my husband before he died. I'm different now. I won't abandon you like I did when I left my husband. And you're you're becoming your own worst enemy and all of that sort of stuff. And I'll support you. And he is able to get to a point where he admits he has a a, a problem with alcohol and that he's using alcohol negatively and it's impacting him and all that kind of stuff. And he goes through, he quits, he goes through um, withdrawal. So it's got to a very bad point if you're going through mm. withdrawal when you stop drinking. But then that's kind of put to bed. Um, it's almost like one of the... Uh, 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 a very special episode of The Cosby Show or Blossom or Golden mm. Girls. Sitcoms, yeah. we used to do the... Tonight, on a very special episode of The Golden Girls, one of the Golden Girls has a problem with gambling. And then by the end of the episode, they've learned a lesson and gambling never was mentioned again. There's a little feel of that to... Um, not not really, because the impact goes mm. on and he the, the storyline still mentions that he's he's stopped and he's, you know, but he's got to... But it's not a major focus. And then... There's a, a a big relapse in uh, what we'd call the Ironmonger Saga, which takes place in the mid-1980s, where um, Obadiah Stane inflicts a huge amount of psychological manipulations onto him and steals a company away from him and all sorts. Ooh. And this drives Tony to um, abusing alcohol again. He hits real rock bottom um, loses his fortune, loses stock, the company, all his money, no, can no longer be Iron Man. They take, he has to give up, the, basically hand the keys to his car over because he can't be trusted to drive anymore. Um, and, uh, yeah, and, and, and it, it, again, he makes it through that. Um, but there are other relapses over the years. Um, there is a scene um, towards the end of the world ending in Secret Wars, mm. where the Illuminati have to sacrifice something very, very important to them. I think it's the most, they have to sacrifice the most important part of themselves. And the most mm. important part of Tony that he has to sacrifice um, is his sobriety. Um, oh, and so when he, he starts drinking to get something done. So, yeah, yeah, that, that. that happens a couple of wow. times. I think he has to do it, I think he actually has to do it to summon Odin, to get an audience with Odin. He he makes makes a sacrifice to the gods, and the sacrifice he makes is sobriety, and he starts drinking, um, and it's a very powerful sacrifice that summons Odin. Um, wow! Yeah, wow, that's yeah, that's powerful. Later that night, Tony gives a drunken speech before Pepper calmly tries to tell Tony to call it a night. Tony eventually relents, but U turns in this, announcing an after party before drunkenly blasting one of his windows. Tony is out of control. Pepper and Rose watch in disgust as Tony starts playing an impromptu skeet shooting sessions with guests throwing random objects in the air for Tony to blast. Wasting no time, Rose rushes to Tony's workshop and reappears wearing a silver version of Iron Man's armor. Ordering the guests to leave, Rhodes demands that Tony shut down his suit as he doesn't deserve to wear it. Instead of relenting, Stark tells the DJ to put on some fight music. As Queen starts playing, the two Iron Men fight, blasting them both through the wall and into Tony's gym, where the two smash each other with weights. 
The guests outside watch as Tony and Rhodes smash through the ceiling, crushing a minibar. Happy rushes in and leads Pepper to safety away from the fight. After smashing Rhodes through the kitchen counter, Tony turns around, now aware that everyone is watching him, watching and filming his drunken fight. Tony angrily roars at them before Rhodes smashes him from behind with the kitchen sink. Picking him up self, sorry, picking himself up out of the fireplace, Tony and Rhodes fire their laser blasts at each other, with both lasers meeting, causing an explosion. As Iron Man lies in the rubble, Rhodes gives him one last angry look before jetting away in the suit. Uh, good use of Daft Punk's robot rock during this fight. Ah, I love Daft Punk. Love, love that song. I feel stupid for saying this, but I forgot. Uh, I, I've only watched this film a handful of times, but I forgot that this behaviour was due to his fear of death and not just him being an egotistical prick. Yeah, a lot of people will talk about how the um, the loss of control that comes from uh, a terminal diagnosis yeah. leads to you trying to gain control in whatever way you can, whether it's by affecting your eating or affecting your your you know alcohol or drug consumption or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Oof. So we got Iron Man versus Rhodey. Have they ever fought like this in the comics? Yes. Um, in 1994, um, Rhodes has already become War Machine, um, a separate kind of uh, identity to Iron Man. And there's been a lot of bad blood between the two of them ever since mm. Tony Stark faked his death used his death to manipulate Rhodes into doing stuff for him. And then when Rhodes finds out Tony Stark isn't dead, um, that fractures their relationship very, very, almost completely. Um, mm. To the point where, like, Iron Man, it, Tony Stark's in a big fight with with something called Ultimo, and Rhodey puts together a whole team to save him and helps him. But at the end of that, he, has a, he still punches Iron Man. Um, like so, he kind of knows Tony Stark does good things and will help him, but then they still bubble up into this absolute real um, frustration between them. Um, mm. And then there's a time when War Machine over- overthrows a dictator um, in in a, in a nation called Imaya, a war torn nation, um, during a political revolution, and. Tony Stark gets incredibly angry and frustrated that you're using my designs to go and do something that's like not not state sponsored. I mean, I did not say you could do that. Mm. Um, and then it's the whole thing. I don't need your permission to do anything, man. And and yeah, they 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 get into a a big fight that carries on throughout their respective issues because. At this point, War Machine has his own monthly comic, a War Machine, and so there's a big fight that kind of crosses over into both. Um, Iron Man uses his full arsenal against 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 Rhodey. Um, there's no overall winner because they both get kidnapped by the Mandarin, I think, right before the end. But what it what it shows is they go toe to toe for two issues. Iron Man puts everything he has against against his friend, and the idea of it is to kind of show War Machine is on a level pegging with Iron Man. They Ooh. they are they are you know they are yeah the same the same kind of firepower, the same kind of dudes, and the same kind of power levels. And it's to, to kind of legitimise Rhodey as you know an Iron Man in his own right. 
It's the weekend for me and Wills. We're recording this. And the weekend to me always means, Will, that hmm. it's time for movies. It's time to chill out. It's time to relax. It's time to find something to fill those long autumnal nights. Um, but it's really, as we said before, it's really hard to find a movie that you know you're going to want. Do you know how many... I'm 40. Do you know how many Saturday nights I've got left in me? Not Ooh. many, Will. <laughs> Ah, uh, let, let me get a calculator. I want to depress you. <laughs> and, I, and I don't want to waste a Saturday night on terrible movies. Uh, and it, no, no. as we've said in the past, it's so hard to know where to go to get a good... You can't trust Netflix recommendations. You no. can't trust the Disney... You know, it, it, it's all designed to push those terrible movies they've just made on you. Yeah, starring Ryan Reynolds and The Rock. <laughs> Stop making those films. And they gotta they gotta push it on you to recoup whatever money they've uh, spent on buying a boat and a <laughs> deserted island to explode. <laughs> it's really hard. And 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 did you see that article we both shared it this this month? Mm. That vulture article. Yeah. Vulture.com put this article out. I don't if you guys haven't seen it, track it down. The, the headline is Vulture article reveals a PR firm has been manipulating Rotten Tomato scores for years now. For years, paying movie critics directly to inflate the scores of the movies that they're trying to promote. It's just and, like the big short, but for film scores. <laughs> but that, that, like, Rotten Tomato was like the last, because it was an aggregate. Rotten Tomato felt like it was the last one to trust and everyone everyone always talks about the Rotten Tomato score we do it on this podcast we talk about the Rotten Tomato score in this podcast and the great reviews things have gotten and you can't trust Rotten Tomatoes no and it's not only that but I also I had this, I've had this for a while as well when there's a groundswell of people on Twitter mm. right that hate the Star Wars movies or that hate <laughs> the new Marvel movies they seem to flood Rotten Tomatoes because yeah. it's like a bandwagon, it's like a meme, it's like a it's like a part of their part of their like online identity is I violently hate the new Marvel movies or the new Star Wars movies or whatever it might be, and I'm gonna just go online and slag it off. And I honestly I read some of those reviews do not match my movie going experience. Absolutely. Bad faith reviews, Rob. Bad faith reviews. So they're either being paid off by a PR company <laughs> or it's it's a bunch of like Twitter nerds doing a bad faith review to try and get clout online. It's corruption from both ends, mate. Corruption <laughs> from both ends. And what it means is I'm wasting my valuable Saturday night watching crap movies or not knowing what, which ones the good ones to find. And so I end up watching whatever's on BBC One, which is just not good for anybody on a Saturday <laughs> night. But we've got the solution. Yes. We've got the solution to bad faith reviews. We've got the solution to PR companies paying critics to write reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. We've partnered up with Everlist.me, who are changing the way that we find movies. Recommendation sites fail for all sorts of reasons, but aside from anything else, they, they, don't, they do not take into account our individual taste. Like a movie critic or a Netflix algorithm doesn't seem to know me at all. No. Everlist fixes that problem by giving you movie suggestions from real people who like exactly the kind of movies you like. 
The like best kind me and of Will. people. The best, the best kind, kind of people, because me and Will are on it. Yeah. We've done it. You create your list on everlist.me. You put your favourite movies at the top. You rank them. You get your top 10, your top 20. You keep going. And then it matches you. Everlist will match you with other real people that got the same taste as you. So when they recommend a movie, it's a recommendation you know you can trust. And it's all completely free. You don't pay a single thing to be a part of Everlist.me. Um, me and Will, we did our... I, I, I'm I struggling with the next lot on my... I don't know, how, how far have you gotten on your list, Will? I have... Oh, I think I've got like into my 40s now. But yeah... Not like I've you. St- I stalled. I st- no, all right, okay. I'm sorry, it's an age joke. <laughs> I stalled in my 30s, and I'm just... It's a refinement process. The thing about Everlist is that it mm-hmm. also... Like, as much as you're doing it for recommendations, so many of my friends... We've got a group chat where we're slagging each other's review, like, choices off. I can't believe you put that on there. Right? <laughs> because that's... You know, listen, this is not part of their, um, of their like... Of their business corporate profile or whatever, yeah. but Everlist need to use as a selling point. It's a great way of judging your friends and family this, because it's so salivating. This is absolutely on point because every time I'm putting a film on, I, I keep thinking, "Am I just putting this on just so no one shouts at me?" It's like you have that Venn diagram of films that are genuinely good and films that you know everyone else loves. And then every now and again, I put a, put something like I think I put Freddie Got Fingered on there. Oh Just, dear! Oh God! <laughs> I think I, uh, you know, I, I, I. I How some... were you ever in the comedy industry? <laughs> <laughs> I have but a the, soft spot for that film, and I thought I'd put it in there just to see what would the, happen. The great thing about Everlist is that it only works if you're honest. Yes. Right? Yes. You can only get recommendations that are going to benefit you if you're really honest about what your real favorite movies are. So it, it works against that thing that Will's talking about. You can't have some nose-in-the-air movie critic guy going, well, these are the greatest ten movies of all time. They, that doesn't help you because you're going to sit down and watch movies you're pretending to like so you've got to be you have to be honest with it for it to work and it does work it works really well um long time listener cody he joined up he follows me i follow him cody's list has got uh his number one movie is edge of tomorrow the the tom cruise sci-fi movie i've never seen it emily blunt tom cruise edge of tomorrow i've never seen it and it's cody's number one movie so that's a recommendation i watched it last week I had a great time. It was a great recommendation. I didn't need to kind of go on Rotten Tomatoes and look at, well, how many didn't like it? How many did like it? Do I, I just went to someone who's a real person that I really know. And me and Cody and match on Everlist. And I can see his other movies. And I go, that's a great, he's got the kind of taste I'm interested in. Bang, there we go. I had a great movie recommendation. Thanks to Everlist. And thanks to our listeners who, who you know, who, who signed up and who followed us. And, and Will, you've got a similar experience. Yeah, uh, this weekend I'm going to be watch, sitting down and watching a film. I looked at Peter Jay's profile. Oh, Peter Jay's Peter, Peter Who else? Who else? Is fantastic. Cats in space. Is it dogs or cats in space? Dogs in space, I think. Yeah, it's um, dogs. In, I'm just looking at it right now. He has dogs in space. I did not know that was a film. No, Peter Jay. I've known him a long time. Mm-hmm. His 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 movie choices are eclectic and brilliant. And then there'll be like Danger to Bleak as well, which is like a a, a classic of of kind of action adventure genre but it's french and so very few people have seen it he's he's really so what have you found on there that, that's your your next watch well it's, it's it's what we've actually uh talked about before on previous uh, previous episodes the rocketeer 
And it's a film that I'm going, why haven't I sat down and watched that yet? I'm an idiot for not doing that. So this weekend, I've put some time aside to actually sit down and watch this bloody movie. Because it's so far up on Peter Jay's list. It, it, yeah, it's, if it's, it's, it's his third, it's his third uh, film. That's, yeah, and, and uh, that, the other two I've seen, the, the top one and two I've seen. So, yeah. and like, so that reaches out and grabs you and you go, it's top, it's Peter Jay's top th- three movie. I got to see this. Why have I been putting it off? Or, Everlist or, works so well for that stuff. It works so well for that. Although if, if his number one film was Dogs in Space, maybe I wouldn't trust this judgment. <laughs> <laughs> but it makes you think, what am I missing? Yes, because yes, I've not does. seen Dogs in Space. I, I mean, like, sheer curiosity, sometimes even morbid curiosity. Listen, I'm telling you, no, right? I've seen Edge of Tomorrow. I don't have a movie to watch tonight. I think it's going to have to be Dogs in Space. <laughs> because hell. what's the fight? I, I got to know what it's all about. Um, <laughs> Everest is so good at matching real people with real people, so you can see the recommendations of the people around you, people you know, and it'll match. It's not. It doesn't have to be people you know. I'm matched with a bunch of people I don't know, and if I've got a great big crossover of my movies with their movies, then I get to pick through and go. Oh, I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that. I haven't seen that. Um, and the more movies you add, the better your recommendations get. The more people that can match you with, um, the bigger matches that you get. Um, it's a great real way of getting good recommendations. And we've got a competition for you. Man, this is really good. The amazing guys over at Everlist.me have sponsored an awesome prize for us here on Marvel vs. Marvel. Only our podcast listeners can get access to this. So they've sponsored... A year's subscription to Marvel Unlimited. Ooh, How cool is hello, that? Hello, hello. So, Marvel Unlimited is Marvel Comics' online comic book subscription service. Like Spotify, like Netflix or whatever, they've got over 30,000 Marvel Comics up available. And thanks to Everlist, if you win the competition, you'll get unlimited access to those 30,000 comics. 30, Classic 000. comics from the 60s, the 70s, the 80s, the 90s. And everything, everything that Marvel currently published goes on there. So if you want to just start reading everything Marvel does every single month, Everlist is going to help you do that with a free year subscription. Um, it's great for, I use it all the time for doing research for the show. Even when I've got the issues, I don't always quite know where they are, don't have them to hand. I can quickly use Marvel Unlimited to fire up and go, oh yeah, I need to read all of that. That's how I read for the latest bonus episode on The Ultimates. I read all of that on, on Marvel Unlimited. And uh, Everlist.me is going to give away a year's subscription for the uh, the people we pick as the winner. All for free for a year. So all you have to do to be in with the chance of winning is sign up for Everlist.me. Make a top 10 list. Top 20. But top 10 you've got to make. And then mm. just keep going. And then follow Marvel vs. Marvel on the website. We've got that pinned on our Twitter as our top post. If you want to, uh, if you can't, you know, you can search for us, you can find us, or you can find it on Twitter. Click the top pin post, and that's going to be our Everlist link with our, our top 10, 20 superhero movies on there. Um, if you follow us and you've created an account, you'll be in with a chance of winning. In a couple of weeks' time, me and Will are going to randomly select a winner. And you're going to get a year's subscription to Marvel Unlimited. A fantastic prize thanks to people at Everlist.me. So that's what you want to be doing. Head on over to Everlist.me. Sign up, create an account, follow Marvel vs. Marvel. Start making your list. Start being honest about your list. Start ranking. Follow Will. Follow me. Check out our top 10, top 20, top 30, top 50. See how much we cross over. Recommend movies to us. Let us recommend movies to you. It's all completely free, and it is changing the way that we're discovering movies. 
back to the show. At the Edwards Air Force Base in the Mojave Desert, Rhodes communicates with the flight tower that he's ready to land. However, the troops at the base are stunned to see Rhodes not in a plane, but in an Iron Man suit. Landing in front of everyone, he greets his major and brings the suit inside. So is this how Rhodey gets his own armour in the original stories? Uh, James Rhodes uh, was Tony Stark's chief engineer uh, when he first when he first appeared, um, way back when, and and he helped Tony maintain and and the Iron Man armor and to develop different things for it. Um, but then when Tony Stark could not pilot the the, the Iron Man armor f- on a, on a several different occasions, sometimes through injury, sometimes through um, alcoholism. Rhodey mm. steps up and puts the armor on and becomes Iron Man. Um, it took him a, a while to learn how to kind of pilot it and stuff, um, but eventually, when Tony Stark um, dies in inverted commas and uh, and 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 leaves this world and leaves um, the armor and the and the Stark International to Rhodey, uh, Rhodey manages to basically save the day. He takes. He makes sure that Obadiah Stane doesn't get his hands on the Iron Man armors. He becomes the new Iron Man. He um, takes over Stark International and all that sort of stuff. Um, but then, after establishing himself as Iron Man, um, he he eventually finds out that Tony Stark has died. Hasn't died. Sorry, mm. that the death has been faked, and that. Tony Stark has been using it to manipulate Rhodey into being Iron Man, taking a lot of flack and doing this, that, and the other. Um, it was a test, son, like Odin does to his son. Yeah. So he, yeah. He, he replaces him after injury. He replaces him through alcoholism. He, le- he, he then gives the identity of Iron Man back to Tony Stark. But then Tony goes to this, this thing and, and faces his own death. Um, and, and that fractures them uh, big time. Um, but what he, what Tony Stark leaves to uh, Rhodey when he's faked his death is the brand new Iron Man, the highly advanced Iron Man, which is nicknamed the War Machine armor. Um, and so that's how he gets this kind of black and white armor um, that is very different to anything that Tony Stark has worn over the years. Um, and he 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 carries that on as Iron Man, thinking Tony is dead. Uh, the whole time, so that's how he, that's how he gets, like that's how he first gets into armor, and then that's how he gets his quote unquote own armor. Um, yeah. Ah, right, 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 right. Cool, cool. Elsewhere, a hungover Tony, still in the Iron Man armor, eats donuts inside the center of a large donut sign. In the street below, Shield director Nick Fury orders him to come down. Inside the diner, Nick talks with Tony, noticing that Stark's neck vein getting worse. The next second. Natalie Rushman enters wearing a leather catsuit and greets Nick Fury, her superior. It is revealed to be S.H.I.E.L.D. agent Natasha Romanoff, a.k.a. The Black Widow, and she was tasked with keeping an eye on Stark while Fury tries to recruit Tony. Suddenly, Tony is injected with a hypo that temporarily reduces his blood toxicity as the vein on his neck disappears. Tony says that permanently solving this won't be an easy fix as he's tried every alternative to palladium for his arc reactor. However, Fury, with a smile, tells Stark that he hasn't tried them all. Just the tell him the of- answer if you know. If you know the answer, Nick, tell him the answer. 
<laughs> the image of Tony wearing Wayfarer sunglasses, chilling in a donut sign, eating donuts, nursing a hangover, pops into my head whenever I'm suffering the next morning on a sunny, on a really sunny day. It's like hungover, but somehow fabulous. Yeah, hungover, <laughs> yeah, but I'm fabulous. You're cool. Yeah. You're cool. I'm so you're cool. I'm hungover. <laughs> yeah, yeah. At Hammer Industries, Justin brings Ivan his bird, but it turns out that this isn't Ivan's bird. While Ivan is obviously miffed by this, Justin tells Ivan that he has to learn to let things go. Justin suddenly notices that Ivan has replaced the helmet on the iron suits and has been replaced by a robot head. Justin is adamant that the iron suits need to have human pilots, but Ivan is adamant that drones will work better before telling Justin that he has to learn to let things go. Nevertheless, Justin tells Ivan that those drones better impress. I'd, to be honest, I'd be the same if someone tried to pull this off with one of my cats. That whole bird what, thing. To rip I mean. their heads off to put a metal one on. I mean, that too. But I mean, if someone said, oh, I've got your cat. That's not uh, the cat. Yeah. That's not the cat. No. I love them. Uh, at, <laughs> okay, Edwards Air Force Force <laughs> at Edwards Air Force Base, Rhodes presents his general with the Just, Iron Man suit. What? Can, can a human... Uh, can you really... I, I I I get cats and dogs, but birds, really. I know a few people that have birds as pets, and they are odd people. Like, uh, I, I mean, I don't know. Can you I love came a bird to listen to like a you can love about Marvel? But can now you, he's insulting my pet. Can you love a bird like you love like a dog or a cat? Can it? Sh- I don't. I don't know, man. I I, I had I a friend know. with a budgie who had a lovely budgie who would jump on your hand and rub you. It was a nice, affectionate little bird. Okay. Wow, you okay. really uh, draw a line with creatures, don't you? Like, oh, cats and dogs. I get that. Everything else, scum. They're technically food. Cats and dogs are food as well. You're just not brave enough. <laughs> Commit to the bit. Commit. <laughs> All right. Anyway, at Edwards Air Force Base, Rhodes uh, presents his general with the Iron Man suit he acquired from Tony, but the general then always acquired. <laughs> <laughs> I put it on and ran away. That, that's technically acquiring. The, the general then orders him to bring the suit to Justin Hammer, who is now working with the US military and needs something to present at the Hammer's Expo. In the ruins of Tony's living room, Fury tells Stark about Howard Stark's involvement with the founding of S.H.I.E.L.D. and that the arc reactor that Tony created was a continuation of the work that Howard and Anton Vanko started decades earlier. But when Anton tried to sell the technology... Howard Stark had him deported to Russia with the Soviets then sending Anton to a gulag. Fury tells Tony how hard Stark how hard Stark said that the future of his work is riding on the sun, Tony to complete, but Tony is convinced that his dad never thought of him that highly. Nick Fury departs, leaving Tony under the supervision of Agent Coulson, as well as giving Tony his old father his father's old materials to look into. I love the way they're tying to- Howard Stark into all of this. Not to mention he gets played by that fella from Mad Men. Yeah. Yeah, that was a night. Nice, I can't remember his name. Another uh, the, silver, the, sil- the Silver Fox from Mad Men. Silver yeah. Fox. So, Anton Vanko, not Ivan. Uh, Anton, as I keep doing. Uh, what can you tell us about Anton Vanko? The first Crimson Dynamo. Um, uh-huh. So it he's comes a, together. A, a Soviet scientist who um, Anton, a Soviet scientist that invents like an armor Mm. um i believe he's yeah he invents an armor 
Now the big, like they they created the abomination around the same time. The abomination is the old Hulk villain. Yes, and the idea of the abomination is he's just so much stronger than the Hulk, and he retains his intelligence. Hmm. So Stanley around this time is big into, or Marvel at this time, big into making the villain that much better than the hero, because that hmm. creates an underdog. The big thing uh, around um, the Crimson Dynamo's armor is that at the time, Iron Man had to regularly keep charging up his chest plate. It was the big hmm. like weakness. It was almost like his kryptonite. Or his, or his son or whatever, he had to keep charging it up. And in fact, oftentimes during a fight, his armor would lose all power. And he'd have to find an energy source and to try and get back into the fight. It was a big vulnerability for Iron Man. The Crimson Dynamo armor generates its own electricity. So oh, it, it, okay. that's kind of its big thing about why it's so much better. It would never run out. It has a self-sustaining generator built into mm. it. And it also allows Vanko to uh, control electricity and to generate it, to electrocute things and to shoot devastating bolts of lightning and to fly using electromagnetic propulsion rather than boot jets and things like that. So it's quite, it's quite different to uh, the Iron Man armor. that can't do any of that kind of stuff. And he, he mm. builds it and at the behest of his Soviet master's um, he he's uh, off to do all sorts of uh, damage in America, so he's sent to sabotage Stark Industries. That's a big driving force of the original Iron Man stories. Mm. It's seen that it would be a, a fantastic feat for communism and for the USSR if they could destroy like the 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 most famous capitalist in all the West, Tony Stark. <laughs> um, and to do that, you have to battle. Um, Tony Stark's personal bodyguard, Iron Man. Vanko loses to Iron Man, um, and that's really bad because he immediately fears that this public loss on television, broadcast internationally, will mean that if he goes home, his superiors will kill him or he'll be thrown in a gulag for failure because it's all about if you can't have failures going on. So he mm. defects to the United States and, in fact, then ends up Tony Stark gives him a job. He becomes one of Tony Stark's chief scientists. <laughs> Tony Stark and, 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 and Anton Vanko become very close friends. Um, and they develop... Vanko gets this, not only friendship, but he develops real pride and admiration for the United States. And he kind of abandons all that sort of stuff behind. Um, the USSR and the communism and the Soviet masters and everything. Very black and white portrayal of America and Russia, as you could expect from the 1960s. Mm. Um, however, he was not wrong. <laughs> His KGB <laughs> masters want him dead. Um, and so they send uh, Boris Tuganev, the new Crimson Dynamo, um, to uh, come and apprehend him and take the, uh, take the armor back. And uh, Boris's um, uh, supervisor, is uh, the mysterious mm. Black Widow. So the Black Widow comes to America to kill Anton Vanko. Um, Vanko, in a, in a battle against uh, Boris Tuganev and the Black Widow, Vanko dies, saving Iron Man's life, um, and, uh, and, 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 and is remembered very, very fondly by Tony Stark. Oh, okay, okay, that's a bit of a twist. At the Air Force Base, James Rhodes finishes preparing the Iron Man suit for Justin Hammer, 
Very pleased Justin Hammer arrives, but James immediately asks what Justin Hammer will do for the military. Justin wastes no time demonstrating a cache of advanced weapons to an unimpressed Rhodes. Seeing that these firearms haven't gotten a reaction from James, Justin pulls out his masterpiece, a very small but intensely powerful bunker buster missile called the X-1. With his poker face still on, Rhodes tells Justin that he'll take all of it. I like uh, Justin Hammer sniffing that small cigar like a miss. Sorry, smell, 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 smell <laughs> that small uh, missile like a cigar. Very nice touch. Yeah. Yeah. So is this how the War Machine armor gets built in the comics? Does it involve uh, Justin Hammer? No, it doesn't. Um, the, the variable threat response armor, um, as its official title is, um, it's built out of simply, I mean, it doesn't really have a, a huge kind of backstory to it. Hmm. What what happens is his old armor gets destroyed, <laughs> and uh, he, he, Tony needs something with much heavier artillery. Hmm. So he builds this black and white armor, the uh, variable threat response unit, um, which you think has got such a long name that the words are going to spell something. Nope. Yeah. <laughs> he just calls it War Machine. Um, <laughs> and uh, and yeah, it's it's designed. Um, it's designed purely to, uh, to to combat, you know, a, a heavier artillery threat. Mm. Um, the the guy that designed it was just all about um, how can I make Tony, how can I make Iron Man look like a tank? Um, oh, and oh yes. Yeah. The big invention was the shoulder mounted um, rocket launchers and 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 guns that, that just felt that adding things to the shoulders really added something um and of course shoulder pads were quite big uh you know 80s and 90s so i don't know if mm. anything came of came of that um it has some similarities with the silver centurion armor in that um in that there's a heat lance a laser lance mm. um in that there's uh, different ways of there's a force field and things things of that nature but the big thing that everyone remembers about the war machine armor is the shoulder-mounted rocket launchers, the shoulder-mounted Gatling... I'm going to call it a Gatling gun or a, or a machine gun that goes... It, goes it, round if, and if, round if it's around. rotating, then it is a Gatling gun, yeah. Right. Um, yeah. yeah, so th- th- those are the uh, the things that are stacked onto it. And yeah, it was created in an era where we've got characters like Cable and we've got Image Comics being launched with all those kind of very um, uh, bigger, muscular and... Characters that have loads of weapons. Mm. Loads of weapons was the big deal. Guns were getting bigger and bigger in the way that the macho comic book artists at the time were drawing them. And it was time for Iron Man, who was always quite a sleek design, aside Mm. from the 60s, to to do something kind of bigger and to look more extreme and more military. (laughs) And and that's that's where the, the, the war machine came from. I like I like the way like it looks sleek, but then it's like oh how how many little hidden compartments come out like RoboCop? Yeah, it's like yeah. like, like that's that's got to pinch the first time you go in. Like oh I can't fit my arm in because of the extra <laughs> shoulder missile. Opening his father's case, Tony pulls out the old blueprints for the arc reactor his father and Anton worked on, as well as the new report detailing Anton's disappearance. While playing an old film, Howard presenting the city of the future again, uh, Tony pours over his dad's notes. His father's video presentation gradually suffers from retakes and degenerates as Howard gets annoyed at his young son interrupting and decides to get drunk. In a moment of personal honesty, 
Howard speaks to Tony through the camera, telling his son that Tony will help finish his work and that Howard's greatest creation is Tony. Tony's eyes light up as he finally gets the validation from his father he always wanted, as well as the eureka moment he's always been looking for. So does Howard Stark play a big role in the Marvel comics like this at all? Eventually. Um, Eventually. This is something we need to think about, the, 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 the sliding timeline, the sliding timescale mm. of the Marvel Universe. I will reiterate. Um, Marvel Comics began in the 1960s. Um, it was very close to the Second World War. Yes. However, Marvel comic book characters do not age in real time. Otherwise, they'd all be ancient. Spider-Man would be in his <laughs> 80s, and we can't have that. Same thing happens in DC Comics to a certain extent. What happens is mm. these characters, generally speaking, once we get into the 70s and the 80s, we don't think of them having been around for 20 years. We think of them having been around for maybe eight years, five to eight years, something in that region. Maybe it gets, as we get into the 90s, it might end up being 10 years. We just have to keep sliding that time scale down mm. so that, I think, roughly speaking, the Fantastic Four, who were the first earmarkers of the beginning of the Marvel Age, came about around 10 years ago. Whenever you pick up a comic and read it, the Fantastic Four and the Marvel Age began about 10 years ago. Spider-Man's been Spider-Man mm. for about 10 years. Now, in the 1970s, that makes sense. It has been 10 years. Yeah. But it also is true in the 1980s. <laughs> so we've moved <laughs> further from the Second World War. We've moved further from the 1940s, but it's still only been 10 years. That's the sliding timescale. To do that, Marvel have to keep updating things. Um, a good example of this is the Punisher, who came about in the Vietnam War. Yeah. As we sit here now in the year 2023, the Punisher, to have been active in the Vietnam War, would make him an ancient old man. <laughs> and that doesn't fit with the character. So Marvel keep updating the war that he's been in and eventually have invented a brand new war that didn't exist so that it's no longer tied to a historical event. When Iron Man stories first began and S.H.I.E.L.D. first began in the 1960s, Tony Stark designed and built S.H.I.E.L.D. with Nick Fury. Tony Stark oh. built and designed the helicarrier. He built and designed the life model decoys. Everything to do with S.H.I.E.L.D. and all these amazing inventions. Tony Stark invented because he was a young man in the Second World War or around the Second World War and just after. So... It was Tony Stark that built everything in the 50s and 60s. Mm. But as more and more decades pass and Tony Stark has to stay younger and younger, he can't have been active in the 1950s and the 1960s. Marvel needs a stand-in to replace Tony Stark in that era. Mm. And that becomes his father, Howard Stark. So he gives birth to his own father. <laughs> in a manner of speaking. In a manner of speaking. And then as time goes on and on and on and on and on, suddenly Howard Stark is in everything. Suddenly he's in World War II with Captain America. Uh, and then he's part of the X-Men's Hellfire Club. And then he's best mates with Reed Richards' dad. There's constant retcoming when it comes to Howard Stark. He's described as being very sarcastic and kind of a ruthless businessman. I can't, I can't quite remember. There's no talk in the, in the early issues of... Iron Man 
uh, of, of Tony taking over his father's business. It's just because mm. Tony Stark's meant to be Howard Hughes yeah, when he's first created. Yeah. And then as the decades go by, Howard Stark is meant to be Howard Hughes. Yeah. And Tony kind of inherits things and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, it, it, um, it, it, it hits home even more when you see that in, uh, uh, in uh, the Captain America film. The first yeah. one, you see Howard Stark, and it's like, yeah, that's definitely Howard Hughes. Yeah, so that's 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 kind of it. Yeah, he's not mentioned uh, or brought up until the 1970s. Um, and they don't know if they start the retconning straight away. The retconning probably starts towards the end of the 70s, start of the 80s. It's, it's hard to get a handle on it. But yeah, he's... Um, He's uh, obviously he's created to give Tony Stark some personal life and background and everything, but he becomes more of a tool to help pad out the years when Tony Stark did all that stuff, but now he can't, otherwise he'd be too old. Gotcha, gotcha. Wasting no time, Tony drives all the way to Stark Industries to find his father's old diorama and interrupts Pepper Potts in an important phone call. As soon as her call finishes, Tony offers a humbling apology for his behaviour, but Pepper is in no mood for this and explains that she's trying to do the job that he was meant to do. The next moment, Happy and Natasha, under the skies of Natalie, enter. Before Pepper and Happy leave, Tony makes playful hints to Natalie that she might not be who she says she is. When they're both alone, Natasha angrily uh, chides Tony before storming out. Alone in the CEO's office, Tony examines the old diorama of the 1974 Stark Expo and his city of the future. Looking at it with fresh eyes, he realises something important and drives it home in his convertible. Again, great more back, uh, great, uh, more great back and forth between uh, Tony and Pepper. Love the obsession with the perpetual motion desk, desk model as well. Like, I need to stop this. I need like just, mm. just jab, you know, just just shoves a thing in to stop. Are it. they called perpetual motion things? Well, it, it, it's just a, it's just a desk thing, but they are yeah. they are perpetual motion because that's what they're doing. They're continuously moving. Doesn't mm. doesn't perpetual motion require? Yeah, let's let's carry on. Yeah, I mean, obviously, it will be true perpetual motion because no, because it invalidates you, you the to, laws of thermodynamics. You have to act upon it. You have to give the initial energy to it, don't you? I guess. Anyway, anyway. anyway. So, does Black Widow have a history with Tony Stark in the comics? Yeah, well, as we said, yeah, she she leads the the new uh, the new Crimson Dynamo Boris Turgenev um, into the country to assassinate Anton Vanko for defecting from the Soviet Union, um, and so originally the Black Widow, as you can might be able to take from her name, she's purely like a femme fatale. The yeah. idea of a female that kills the male and the idea that she's perhaps murdered her previous husbands and things like that. The idea of a um, a beautiful, sexy, dangerous woman that, that might mm. that might uh, kill you. There's a great um there's a great episode of uh, the Venture Brothers where <laughs> <laughs> where Rusty f- actively finds a femme fatale, a, a black widow. Because yeah. he's like, even if she does try and kill me, my body, my giant bodyguard will stop her. And until yeah. then, I'll have some great sex. That's I, what I, I'm after. I recently watched that one. I was laughing so, so much. But all I think is when you say femme fatale, all I can think of is the Alan Partridge uh, line he says to Sonia, his Ukrainian girlfriend. Oh, he's yes. Like, you could, with that uh, broken English, you could be a Bond femme fatale. You're sexy, but I don't trust you. <laughs> no, nor should you. And 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 Black Ooh. Widow's whole thing to begin with is that she infiltrates kind of Tony Stark's personal life. Mm. Um, I believe she poses as Boris's sister, 
Um, and he's like, ah, oh, you must show me around your uh, amazing American workstation. Um, and, and then begins dating him. Mm. Um, and very physical uh, affection and flirtation and things as she tries to uh, milk all the secrets out of him. Pop, I'm, proper, sh- I'm, sh- I'm sure that's what she's doing. Proper Bond girl stuff. Um, yeah, so that's that's the beginnings, and there is so there is this element of infiltration mm. and spying on him and all of that. But she's doing it for the KG bloody B. <laughs> With the diorama set up in his workshop, Tony uses Jarvis to make a projection of the model and begins to manipulate it, realizing that the center of the model almost resembles the nucleus of an atom. They're using the other parts of the map as reference points and removing all irrelevant parts of the model. Tony realises that the model holds the key to just the thing he's been looking for all this time. The atomic model for a new element that can replace the palladium in his arc reactor. Right, so Nick Fury clearly knew all of this and just gave, like, a subtle little wink and then, like, why not just tell him? I Just think, tell him! I think... It, I, I don't know if he knew exactly or if he had, like, he had an inkling... But at the same time, if he knew, I think he wanted to test Tony's initiative to see if he was worthy enough to be on sh- to be in the Avengers. Oh, that's an interesting take. I, that's an interesting I, take. I like that. Yeah, I saw I like it as a, a test. Lot. I saw it as a test. It's like, why would you Don't hand you... it to him on a plate? It's like, well, Tony Stark's the Otherwise, guy who's supposed to be die. thinking of the... <laughs> yeah. But yeah, yeah. That's a good take, though. I really like that. Yeah, yes, yeah exactly. Uh, while Jarvis tells Tony that the element is impossible to synthesize, Tony merely sees this as a challenge and begins tearing up his house, constructing a machine that can create this new element. I loved there's this, I love this bit of mystery here solving here, like something important hidden in plain sight. And it's almost like an mm. episode of Sherlock where he's like, oh no, that's there, that's that, that could actually be that. Oh, I see what's happened now, it's a secret message. Yeah. He loved it, loved it. After Tony has finished construction of his machine, Coulson arrives and ends up helping Stark complete the finishing touches. It turns out that Agent Coulson was only stopping by to inform Stark that he's been reassigned to investigate something in New Mexico. After it's, uh, I find it really interesting to see Agent Coulson so early. I've just seen <laughs> his last ever appearance as Agent Coulson uh, that takes place some point within Agents of Shield. Yeah, okay. Um, and it's been, and I've been, I've been binging it uh, every every day as I as I work out every morning. Mm. I've been watching an episode or so. Of Agents of Shield, so I've seen an awful lot of of Coulson over the last couple of months, um, and it's and I've just literally today got to the final his final episode, okay. um, and so it's really then been wild to kind of to, sorry that was yesterday, and then today kind of go back and see uh, the 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 very early appearances, just how young he is, and the development of the character, <laughs> and the, yeah. the the quite nice arc that that character gets on Agents of Shield. Yeah, yeah, been. been and had a lot more. I mean, Agent Coulson has had more stories and more hours of MCU storytelling than anyone in these movies. Oh yeah, because he's, he's interweaving, interweaving uh, guy. Basically, he's the threat. Well, no, because he's in Agents of Shield, which yeah. seven seven seasons of twenty two episodes. And all of that. course, yeah. I thought you meant in terms of that. In terms of never mind. <clears throat> uh, after Coulson leaves, Starks activates the machine, and after nearly destroying his workshop, creates a new element. Installing the element in the arc reactor, Jarvis informs him that it has worked. Also, I like the little uh, Captain America shield that pops up. 
Yes, it's kind of like a template, kind of, or a or a design or something. Yeah, I don't know what he must have stolen it from somewhere, but it was just like, oh, I remember people losing, uh, losing it a bit over that, going, "Oh my God, there's a Captain America shield! What does that mean?" Mm. It's like, oh, so Tony invents a brand new element. Like, I know he's a scientist in the comics, but has he ever done something insane like this? Like, because that inventing a brand new element is is very crazy. He cloned Thor. Wow. <laughs> with with Reed Richards, he, he built a cyborg that's part robot, part Thor clone. Uh, it went mad and killed people. Uh, oh the comic book said that the character was called Ragnarok, but everyone in the comic book message boards knew that a cloned Thor had to be called Claw. <laughs> um, in the same way that Red Hulk was clearly Rolk. Um, that sounds like he... Scooby-Doo seeing the Hulk. Rolk! I'm going to do the mad stuff first, then the good stuff. Okay. There, he builds Sentinels. Um, admittedly, he's being influenced by the Red Skull, but mm. he, he not only designed Sentinels, but he designed Sentinels program to hunt down superheroes and defeat them using his knowledge of their weaknesses. Oh. Um, so his Sentinels wipe out the Avengers and the X-Men. That's a plot line borrowed exactly from Batman in justice league but there we go um soul's hammer soul's hammer soul's hammer it's a it's a giant satellite space station thing oh soul like solar yeah Yeah. that can uh capture and control the radiation of the sun um Mm. with two percent of the sphere's charge it can destroy an entire planet it's a planet destroying weapon Pointed at Earth. It's just up there. It's just up there. <laughs> gathering. It, gathering. It, I can't. We don't have time to get into why it's useful and what it's there for. Yeah. It's not good, though. No. Um, those are all bad things. Then he develops the extremist um, nanotech mm. into extremist 3.0, which he gives to everyone in, Sa- in San Francisco. And it brings them perfect health. Incurable diseases and problems are, are customized and sold if you want. Daredevil is no longer blind. It's um, wow. Yeah, that's something else. Um, Stark Unlimited is a company that he founded after, like Stark International and, and Stark Solutions and stuff. And it's purely there to tra- take repulsor technology and turn it into free energy for the world. Um, Ooh, hello. I and like uh, that. yeah, Stark Limited was, was was really quite interesting. There's a great, and this is when I, uh, Matt Fraction was writing the comic, and there's a great sequence where Tony Stark is buying basically a a soda company, a Marvel mm. Comics version of Pepsi, and he talks, but he's in, he's buying it for a ridiculous amount of money, and he admits during it that he hates the drink, um, and. Uh, they're saying, why are you buying a company, a soda company? Why is a tech guy buying a soda company he doesn't want for a drink he doesn't like? And he says, I'm not buying your soda company for the drink. I'm buying it for the infrastructure. Because I'm trying to build, I'm trying to bring um, HIV um, drugs to Africa. And you're the only, and this bit is true, you're one of the only companies that has any infrastructure throughout Africa. Mm. You've built the roads, and you've built the infrastructure and the trucks, and you've got enough machines everywhere to stock your soda. I'm going to take soda out and put HIV meds in. 
and I'm going to bring all these drugs to to, Af- to across Africa uh, and Amazing. South South America and things like that. I thought that was a really cool moment. There's a couple of times when someone smart writes Bruce Wayne and Tony Stark in a cool way, and you go, mm. "That's what they would be doing with their money." Yeah, exactly. I like that. I like that a lot. At Hammer Industries, Ivan gets an angry phone call from Justin, who is not happy with the changes and drawbacks Ivan has been making. Unbeknownst to Justin, Ivan is working on an improved pair of electrified whips. Returning to Hammer Industries, Justin punishes Ivan by taking away his bird and his shoes before telling him off the ring. <laughs> I, I just like the, the, the removing the shoes. It, it, it just made me laugh. Anyway. Yeah, big time. Big time. Uh, before telling him off for reneging on their deal. Justin also arrogantly informs Ivan that he's managed to get hold of an Iron Man suit from Stark Industries that will trump anything he's worked on for him. After this, Justin leaves Ivan in the care of two burly henchmen. At Stark's mansion, Tony receives a call from a blocked number and is surprised to hear Ivan Venko. Ivan has murdered his guards and tells Tony that he will get revenge on Tony for what Howard Stark did to his father. Tony is almost successful in getting a cold trace, but realises from the incomplete information that Ivan was calling from Hammer Industries. Wasting no time in testing the new arc reactor element, Tony installs it in his chest, feeling reinvigorated as the unsightly poison veins in his chest disappear. That was a nice moment. Yeah, but again, no... No, like, arc completed on stopping reckless behaviour. He just jams a new element into his heart. Off I go... (laughs) With this in my chest, I can now do the reckless behaviour of ten men. (laughs) 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 At the Hammer Industries Expo, Happy Hogan drops off Pepper and Natalie. To an applauding audience, Justin Hammer awkwardly dances on stage before introducing his company's new So funny. Isn't there a film where he does a whole dance thing, that film where he plays the game show host who might have worked for the CIA... Yeah, Confessions of a Dangerous Mind. That's it, Confessions um, of a Dangerous Mind. Yeah, that's yeah. a really good movie um, yeah. based on a very interesting book, and it's the directorial debut of George Clooney. Oh, my God. Okay, George Clooney directed that movie. Oh, wow. Justin Ham awkward does on stage before introducing his company's new product, the Hammer Drone. From behind him on stage, various squads of humanoid military drones, each resent, resent, representing an arm of the military, rise up. Meanwhile, Ivan starts to hack into the drone's computer systems. Next, Justin presents his repurposed Iron Man suit, pilot by James Rhodes. Rhodes appears on stage in a black and white Iron Man suit, heavily equipped with guns and rocket launchers. Before Justin can finish giving his speech on this array of warfare technology, Iron Man jets in, landing on the stage to an even louder applause than Justin received. Iron Man tells Rhodes that everyone here is in danger as Justin is working with Venko. As Iron Man approaches Justin on stage, uh, as Iron Man approaches Justin on stage and demands where Venko is, Ivan's uh, hacking interferes with Rhodey's suit, taking control over it. Suddenly, Rhodey's suit, as well as the entire legion of drones, open fire on Tony, who flies out through the roof with a group of robots and Rhodes on his tail. The way Justin Hammer's presentation desperately lacks the zazz of Tony Stark's really was hilarious. Like, yeah. <laughs> and like the press will have a problem; they're about to run out of ink. Followed by barely any clapping. It felt Great like an line. Ed- felt like an Edinburgh preview. <laughs> it felt like <laughs> testing out a new joke that you think's going to land. Like, oh, no. So 
what is Justin Howard's big plot in the comic books? Is it anything like this? Because it sounds like he, he does more stuff from the sides, like, as you said, financing uh, villains. Well, yeah, although there is something very similar. Although uh, Ivan does it not in the movie, not Justin. So in the Demon in the Bottle storyline towards the start, um, Justin Hammer comes up with or gets his hands on this device called the hypersonic scan transmitter. Three <laughs> words that mean nothing when put together, um, but sound sciency um, that allows him to take control of the Iron Man armor mm. and act as a remote control. And Tony knows nothing about it. So he tests it out a couple of times on like, and, and Tony just thinks he's having malfunctions in the ceiling plates and the boot jets and things like that. Yeah. Um, and then when, when he has lost a very lucrative bid to Stark International, um, Justin takes control at a very inopportune moment of the Iron Man armor. Tony is like, Iron Man is standing behind this ambassador to another country. Hmm. And, and, um, Justin turns on the repulsor rays and he blows a hole in this guy from behind, kills him dead. Ooh. And to the outside world, Iron Man just murdered a guy for no reason. And Justin Hammer's, you know, unbeknownst, hidden away, going, <laughs> brilliant. So there's a similarity here in taking control of the armor as yeah. Ivan is doing. Um, and then he sends a whole bunch of criminals to attack Iron Man and stuff like that. Um, so that's one of his big, big ones. Um, and then. During the I Am Armor Wars storyline, we talked about um, how um, Tony Stark's Stark designs, Iron Man designs, get out into the world. Mm. That's Justin Hammer as well. He hires a, 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 an industrial espionage guy called the Spymaster to steal <laughs> the Stark technology, and then Justin Hammer distributes it to like the Beetle, the Crimson, the new Crimson Dynamo, Stiltman. Um, and uh, yeah, it it uh, it really just kind of uh, sets off this mad chain of events of the Armor Wars. Bloody, I can't wait for Armor Wars. I hope it's like you know, it it, it sounds good. Yeah, but I mean, think Secret Invasion kind of bad, very little resemblance. But yeah. it means we get to do like no matter what the thing is, the stuff we get to do on this show will always be cool because there's so many cool ways of us diving into it and pulling it apart and learning and, and getting the cool stories out there. We, we, get, we get it at the source. We get it at yeah. the source. That's Drink nothing. from my source. Jesus Christ. <laughs> God, what the hell's going on? Anyway, in the skies above the Expo, Iron Man evades Rhodes' gunfire as the rest of the drones in the Expo turn on the audience. Trying to regain control, Justin Hammer is shocked to discover that Ivan has locked them out of the mainframe, as well as access to all forms of communication to Hammer Industries engineers. Pepper and Natalie arrive to witness the chaos unfold behind the scenes. Natalie wastes no time and slams Justin into a painful arm lock, demanding to know who's behind this. Justin immediately spills the beans and tells them it was Ivan Vanko, who is currently at his facility. With Justin no longer in control, Pepper Potts takes over in clearing up this mess. That was a satisfying moment, I felt. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, uh, <clears throat> Justin Hammer is taken down here by Whiplash, turning against him and Black Widow kicking his ass. Does this happen in the comics? No. So, I think Justin Hammer is really awesome and one of, and he's involved in two of the best Iron Man stories and, and another part of why I think he's one of the best Iron Man villains hmm. is that he just keeps getting away with everything. <laughs> <laughs> like, he does very little out in the open. Yeah. He's very cautious to work behind cutouts and manipulate and puppet master and working from the shadows, and he never really gets his comeuppance. So he's quite um, clandestine in a way. A little bit. He does mm. reveal himself to Iron Man 
at the end of I think Team in the Bottle or something. But mm. um, he doesn't really pay any penalty to it. Um, at one point, he buys Stark International. Mm, um, and he does all these shady things with the company, like illegal dealings and mm. criminal actions and stuff. And he, even when he is, so there's, you think, ah, oh, comeuppance here. He's forced to sell the company back to Tony Stark for one dollar. And you think, yes, finally, a loss for Justin Hammer. But it very quickly ends up that Tony gets hit with all the fallout from the dodgy dealings. There we go. It's all tied to the company, and Tony, it lands on Tony's doorstep. You're not just buying, it reminds me of that old thing, like you're not just buying the company, you're also buying the debt. The debt, yeah. Yeah, yeah, So Justin Hammer gets off scot-free and laughing. Um... And then in the in the in the year two thousand, they it all comes to an end, and I think this was a mistake. Really, it's it's not like a bad, overly bad comic for its era, but there's a series called uh, a two issue story called Bad Blood, Iron Man Bad Blood, and Justin Hammer discovers he he's got an incurable cancer, and he thinks I'm just going to kill Tony Stark before I die, and uh, they have a fight. I think they're in a in a space station it's i i don't think it really works and he's he's accidentally frozen in a block of ice when the water that he that 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 he fell into leaks into space and then freezes him wow and um he's frozen in a block of ice drifting in space and Iron Man, Tony Stark says he'll now live forever no he won't he's He's dead dead. he's dead (laughs) um i i i always thought that was a big big mistake it was that character should have, at the most, been locked, finally locked away in a prison somewhere mm. so that he could be brought back by future writers. I think that the yeah. way that the Hobgoblin, that exact kind of a similar thing happened with the Hobgoblin. He was the guy that always escaped, and then eventually a future, a future writer was like, oh, let's bring back the Hobgoblin and then carry that on with him. And yeah, that was a, a disappointing end. Yeah, that is very disappointing. And his heyday was the 80s. Mm. And then they didn't really use him in the 90s. And they just seemed to bring him back once in the year 2000 to kill him off. It was dumb. It sounds like it's less like they're bringing him back and more like they're clearing him out of the shed. Yeah, it <laughs> felt like they were in a loss. Well, what can we do? Oh, well, Justin Hammer's a, a, a big name people remember. Let's bring him back in and kill him off. Yeah. Outside the expo, a group of drones launch a barrage of rocket fire against the fling civilians. Happy finds Natalie and drives her to Hammer Industries immediately. As the drones continue to wreak havoc, one of the drones comes face to face with a small boy wearing an Iron Man mask. The child raises his hand in mock attack, but before the drone can fire back, Iron Man swoops in and destroys the drone, saving the child. So, apparently, it was later suggested by uh, Spider-Man Homecoming director John Watts uh, to Kevin Feige that they retroactively established that this child is actually a young Peter Parker and Feige agreed it was plausible. Which, Why? Which <laughs> What would be the point? There's no point. There's absolutely nope. no point. <laughs> but okay. I but, suppose that this, this, the, the MCU Peter Parker is very heavily tied to Tony Stark, so you know it has some symmetry maybe. Would, Who knows? I mean, it'd be absolutely mad if he, he just went, oh, you know, well, no, not mad, but you'd make more sense if, like, ah, oh, Tony, I, I I haven't seen you since you saved me when I was a kid. I've been thinking about you ever since. Ah, oh. you know, but, like, there's, it's like, don't do that because it's, it's like... Never, uh, the, the problem with this is it's literally never been established as, never. as, as, as text anywhere. And nope. yet, if you, if you Google it, you'll find... 
dozens of terrible online blogs and YouTube videos citing this as fact. We're looking at um, you, Screen Rant. We're looking at you <laughs> very disappointedly. <laughs> as Hammer, sorry, as not Hammer, as Happy gets close to Hammer Industries, Natalie starts changing her clothes into Natasha. Elsewhere, Iron Man leads the flying drones under a raised freeway, dodging the support pillars with incredible maneuverability, causing several drones to crash and burn. At Hammer Industries, Natasha orders Happy to stay in the car, but Happy insists on coming in to protect her. Inside, Happy engages in a long, grueling fight with one single guard, while Natasha has already ran down the corridor and is eliminating multiple guards in quick succession. Seeing that Hammer Industries has been infiltrated, Ivan launches the rest of the drones. As Natasha finishes taking down the last of the guards, Happy finally knocks out his opponent before noticing the trail of destruction left by Natasha. Brilliant fight scene, absolutely oh, yeah. brilliant. It's it's up there with some of the some of the good uh, corridor scenes. Also, I forgot about it, but that that last guard getting pepper sprayed while she walks past nonchalantly, really great, good, great little punch to that. And bit. we are not ones to objectify on this podcast, but if we were, flip it, heck. But we're not, so we won't. We'll just move on. Yep, no names, no words mentioned. Just, just for. Hey lads Anyway How skilled at fighting Is uh, Black Widow In Marvel Comics I assume it's this kind of level More Vastly more She is For all intents and purposes The female Captain America Gotcha The Black Widow Received the Soviet Super Soldier Upgrades Which are sometimes Referred to as Bio uh, Tech And sometimes It's a Super Soldier Serum. Yeah, I think it depends on what update of her story we're being told. So she has peak levels of strength and stamina, as as Cap does, um, a resistance to to disease and a a, a very slow down aging process. Mm. She has been around since uh, you know the Second World War, the the sixties. Sorry, the sixties. Okay. Yeah, um, and and like Steve Rogers. Natasha has a first-rate tactical mind. Mm. Uh, she's she is like there's no one like her and him for processing threats and planning fights. That's why she's so good. Um, and she wasn't just trained in the Red Room. As a child, she was extensively trained by Wolverine. Um, what? Yeah, the the wow. Wolverine's long and twisted history. Involves him working for the KGB. Um, and uh, Logan trained Natasha when she was a child. She calls him Little Uncle because of their oh. close connection, and he's short. Um, and we see that <laughs> as a child, Natasha was able to take Logan down, um, kicks him in the balls, put, breaks his nose, the whole shebang. Um, and over the years, Black Widow has been seen to defeat Daredevil, Punisher. Uh, Electra, you know, in combat, which is no small feat. They're they're regarded as elite level fighters in in in, in the Marvel universe. So she's she uh, female Captain America is the best way of describing her. That's a, that's a very concise way of describing her. As Iron Man leads Rhodes and the drones towards the giant iron model of Earth, Tony gives his friend a heads up for a quick sharp maneuver. As Iron Man goes in the globe model, he does a breakneck sharp turn that Rhodes soon can make, but leaves the rest of the drones crashing into the inside of the structure. As the as Iron Man flies towards a large domed greenhouse, Rhodesy slams into him, with both of them crashing through, landing in the garden below. 
Rose continues to try and kill Iron Man against his will. Inside Hammer Industries, uh, Natasha enters Ivan's room, only to discover that Vanko is nowhere to be found. Hacking into Ivan's computer, Natasha is able to reboot Rose's suit, giving him back full control. Contacting Tony Stark for an update, Natasha tells him that the new arc reactor he's installed is more efficient and he's no longer dying. However, Pepper Potts is also on the call and is shocked to find out that Tony uh-huh. is keeping his secret from her. However, the domestic argument is cut short when Natasha informs Tony that the rest of the drones are heading their way. Also, I like the uh, the little joke. It's a hammeroid attack. Yeah, just just very funny Justin Hammer stuff. Yeah, love it, love it. After what happens to him in the first movie, uh, Tony finally saved his own life here like does he ever save himself in the comics or is he always close to death is this a thing they keep in oh it's in cycles so in (laughs) 1916 so obviously the origin of of of, of iron man he gets that landmine that explodes shrapnel in his heart and he has to wear the uh, the chest plate to keep to, to use magnets to keep the shrapnel from killing him in 1969 he suffers a heart attack that nearly kills him um, and his heart is then fixed um, using an experimental. It's essentially a, it, it. It comes a couple of years after the world's first heart transplant. Mm-hmm. Um, instead of it being a transplant from a, 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 an existing person, a real heart. Um, in the Marvel comics, there's kind of a sci-fi explanation of synthetically developed replacement tissue, a, some sort of a clone heart, a synthetic heart. So mm. um, Tony no longer has to wear the chest plate all the time. He doesn't need to constantly recharge the Iron Man armor because he has a synthetic heart. And that mm. lasts from 69 right the way through. And then in the year 2000, his heart explodes again. Um, he has another heart attack um, after battling uh, his sentient armor. Ooh. And then his sentient armor in an act of self-sacrifice, turns itself into an artificial heart and burrows away into his chest and replaces the the damaged heart. Um, Or or does it... Maybe it just backs up his existing heart. I can't Mm. quite remember. And then uh, Warren Ellis uh, writes the extremist um, event... Where Tony takes the the nanotech, the extremist nanotech, and Tony Stark then becomes a cyborg, mm. um, and that the extremist allows him to rebuild organs, and we can assume that's what happens. He has a brand new heart, um, but then during the secret invasion, the scrolls hack all Stark tech and shut it down, and the nanotech <laughs> in his cells also goes, um, mm. and in order to reboot his entire body. Pepper has to implant him with something called Repulsor Transmitter Node. The RI node goes into his chest, and that is essentially the comic book version of the Arc Reactor. Mm. Marvel wanted to try and make comic book Tony Stark look and feel closer to movie Tony Stark. So yeah. they, they come up why they didn't call it the Arc Reactor, I don't know. But the <laughs> RT node is implanted in his chest, and that's required to make the nanotech in his body work. Mm. Without it, it all falls apart. Yeah. And then the entire universe collapses and destroyed and every Marvel character is reborn. And I I don't know if it's ever been addressed, but I'm kind of assuming the new version of Tony Stark doesn't have any heart issues. And that's how they've perhaps got around it recently. But I'm not sure. That's fair enough. That's fair enough. At least, I mean, it's better than constant chest plate. (laughs) 
Yeah, well, it's 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 not necessarily better in a narrative sense because mm. dilemma and yeah. obstacles are always better for a story. But it, of course, there you yeah. go. Yeah. With Rhodes in full control of his suit, both him and Iron Man work together and prepare for an onslaught. The next moment, the drones start landing in the garden, surrounding them. Wasting no time, Iron Man and Rhodes fight back on all sides, taking the drones out one by one. As they draw closer, Iron Man shows off his new laser cutter that slices all the drones in a short radius. At the expo backstage, the police arrive and place Justin Hammer under arrest. As Justin Hammer is led away in cuffs, he makes vague threats against Pepper Potts. As the police lead everyone away, Pepper decides to stay until everything is sorted. So this is what we've been waiting for since Rhodes first looked at the other Iron Man suit in the previous film. It's just such a great team-up that we've been waiting for. I, I just, I remember having an almost an out-of-body experience in the cinema because I'm wrapped <laughs> up in this moment, but I'm also thinking to myself, this is like a comic book come to life. Yeah. And yeah. I don't think I've ever seen it in, in anything else as clear. This was wonderful. This was just brilliant. It was so fat. It was like a cartoon come to life. It yes. Was, yes. It was just full of action and adventure. It was just really, really exciting to see. Yeah. So what happens the first time Iron Man and Rhodey team up in the comics? Is it anything like this? It's, it's very similar, actually. They are battling unmanned droids. Mm. Um, so the War Machine armor had been built... Um, and it had been built up as the very, very, very cool brand new armor. Mm. And then Tony invents another set of brand new armor. Um, and in Iron Man 21, uh, sorry, Iron Man 291, um, we get both Iron Man in the new armor and War Machine in the also quite new armor side by side for the first time. Mm. And the front cover of that issue was a very cool sought after cover. It sees them side by side on the page literally kind of back to back fighting yeah. things off just like this scene um, so we have a, 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 a Azumo Moroboshi who tries to assassinate um, Rhodey with these lethal battle droids uh, Moroboshi is trying to take over Stark International um, especially when he thought that, that Tony Stark was dead mm. um, Tony Stark isn't dead he's just paraplegic <sighs> and he faked his own death confined to a hospital bed he can only move like his head um, and I think he can he can move um, part of one hand a little bit, mm. um, but he what he has done is he's designed the telepresence armor. Telepresence, um, yeah, telepresence armor. This allows okay. him to remotely control the Iron Man armor and have a telepresence. Yeah, I remember seeing this popping up on Spider Man Homecoming, and I, I just worried about the internet connection to it. I don't think they use the internet. Mm. Um, so uh, Stark is trying to save um, Rhodey from being killed by these battle droids that Monobushu has sent. He's outnumbered. So Tony Stark summons the, the war machine armor and tells Rhodey to suit up. And then we get two Iron Men side by side, two brand new armors side by side. And after that fight, there's still a lot of bad blood between Rhodey and Stark for the whole fake my death and manipulated you thing. Mm. And they are not friends at this point. But Rhodey is about to take off the War Machine armor, and Stark tells him to keep it. 
because I don't trust anyone, really don't trust anyone of the new to have it and keep hold of it and do something with it. Um, the only person who should have something that lethal is you. Um, so this is the first time Iron Man issue 291, it's the first time we see the War Machine armour is going to become a separate identity to Iron Man. Because before that, like we had the Silver Centurion armour, it was Iron Man, yeah, but it's the Silver Centurion hmm. variety of Iron Man. From this point on, instead of it being the, the War Machine armour for Iron Man, War Machine became the name of a new hero, a new character. Hmm. James Rhodes is War Machine. Um, and so Rhodey gets his own separate kind of identity and his own, he goes his own way and he immediately joins the west coast division of the avengers mm. um and and for that time period in the 90s we get iron man and war machine as two uh, distinct characters in the marvel universe nice as iron man and Rhodes breathe a sigh of relief now that the drones have been taken out another metallic figure crash lands nearby iron vanco has constructed an iron man suit but with his electrified whips knowing that a hard battle is ahead Rhodes launches the incredibly powerful X-1 missile that Justin Hammer provide him, but as soon as it strikes Vanko's armour, it harmlessly bounces off and lands on the ground inert. With the X-1 failing to do its job, Iron Man and Rhodes battle against Ivan, with the Russian gaining the upper hand against both very quickly. As Iron Man and Rhodes are damaged and ensnared by Ivan's electrified whips, Iron Man suddenly has an idea. Iron Man tells Rhodes to put his hand up at him and fire, in a repeat of Tony's birthday party, the energy from both suits blasters firing against each other, creating a big explosion that damages all three men. I kind of wanted to see the X-1 in action, but the moment works. The moment's fine. Yeah, it's the final Justin Haber is a loser. It's a loser, gag. yeah. It's, 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 it's the last insult. Also, I like the call back to uh, Tony's party. It feels like the crossing of the streams moment from Ghostbusters, doesn't it? See, I disliked it. I thought it was really lazy writing. What you mean them blasting each other? Yeah, I thought it was just lame, and like you said, I just just literally someone said, "How do we resolve this?" I don't know. Can we just do the Ghostbusters thing? Yeah, I thought it was lame. I thought it in the what? cinema, and I thought it a lot more now upon rewatching it. What, what, what would like you like them to have done? Have a satisfying conclusion to taking down the bad guy, and I don't think they did it. Okay, that's fair enough. That's fair enough. Picking themselves up, Iron Man and Rhodes look at Ivan laying on the floor in his incredibly damaged suit. With his last remaining strength, Ivan tells them, you lose, before his suit, as well as the wreckages of all the drones, start beeping in a threatening manner. Ivan has activated the self-destruct mechanisms. Realising that Pepper is still at the expo building surrounded by fallen drones, Iron Man jets off and flies it to safety as the remaining drones explode around the expo building. After landing on top of a building, a very stressed Pepper Potts tells Tony that she can't take this chaos any longer and tells her she quits as CEO. Tony reluctantly accepts, and as they discuss the handover process and how to tell the press, they suddenly kiss, not knowing that Rhodes has been standing watching them the entire time. Perv. <laughs> yeah, you big perv. Voyeur perv. <laughs> Voyeur. So does Whiplash die like this in the original stories? Or does he get... Iced up in, in space. Mark. Where he doesn't uh, die. <laughs> Mark Scarlotti, the original Whiplash slash Black Lash, um, actually retires from super villainry at the end of the 80s and no he way. vanishes. We, know, we, we, we later learn that he got married, he settles down, he has a kid. But then the credit crunch hits. <laughs> well, he, he, he needs money badly. And so in the late 90s, he returns to villainry. 
in a really terrible redesign. Hmm. He returns in a bondage-themed costume, <laughs> wearing, like, leather harness straps and a leather gimp mask. I guess Marvel wanted to lean in to the fact that he has whips, and that's kind of bondage-coded. Yeah, that makes sense. It's terrible. One of the worst redesigns in Marvel history. It's really bad. And it's not a significant character, but it's a terrible, terrible redesign. Um, he returns to supervillainry. Um, he's then killed in a fight with Iron Man. Iron Man's AI had become sentient, um, and his armor had become alive after being electrocuted by Black Lash. Uh, it developed a mind of its own. And then during this fight, it decided to use lethal force and kill Whiplash against Iron Man, uh, Tony Stark's wishes. Bloody hell. At his workshop, Tony Stark looks over official documents for the Avengers initiative, but is interrupted by Nick Fury, who presents Stark with Agent Romanus' assessment of him. Despite the report being honest and damning, it concludes that Stark is suitable for the Avengers, but only as a consultant. Feeling let down, Stark tells Fury that he can't afford him, but he will agree to waive his retaining fee in exchange for a personal favour. Him and Rhodey are being honoured in Washington, and he wants someone in particular to present the award. Later in Washington, Tony Stark and James Rhodes accept their medals from Senator Stern, presenting the ceremony and being forced to sing Tony's praises through gritted teeth. <laughs> it was a good moment. Yeah. So, is this how Iron Man is selected for the Avengers in the comic books? No. Um, S.H.I.E.L.D. And, and Nick Fury are not involved at all in, in the formation of the Avengers. It's all mm. the heroes sort of separately on their own, as it were. Um, we see that uh, it, it's kind of an accidental combination. Well, it's not kind of. It is accidental. It's so, and the, some of the heroes interpret that as being fate. Mm. Um, Loki seek revenge against Thor. Mm. And his machinations unwittingly are overheard by the teenager Rick Jones. Mm. Um, and Rick Jones uses his uh, his ham radio to contact Ant-Man, the Wasp, <laughs> Iron Man, to come and help Thor. Um, and, and, and Hulk kind of gets wrapped up in it as well. Um, and, uh, and after they beat Loki the group decide that they should come together more often to fight evil. The threat that no one man can overcome. And they become the Avengers. So there's no military, there's no shield, there's no Nick Fury involved. Um, although, as we learnt in our last episode, in 2002, Marvel created a brand new comic book universe, the Ultimate Marvel Universe, which had an updated kind of origin and beginnings for the Avengers. And in that world... The, the Avengers are known as the Ultimates, and they are a military team, and they are created and operated and ran by S.H.I.E.L.D. Um, and uh, if you want to know more about that, head to patreon.com slash Marvel versus Marvel. We've got a massive deep dive bonus episode all about that edgy, updated version of the Avengers called the Ultimates. Meanwhile, in a New Mexico desert, S.H.I.E.L.D. agent Phil Coulson arrives at his next assignment, Approaching a big create, sorry, a big crater sound by on, uh, surrounded by onlookers, Coulson radios in. Sir, we found it. In the middle of the crater lies an ancient hammer. Ooh. So, has Thor's hammer ever crashed on Earth like this? 
It, it has actually, yeah. Um, after this, though, not before this. I don't think it's ever done anything like this before. But after this, um, perhaps they liked the imagery. Um, mm. Thor had a battle where his enemy was able to lift Mjolnir. This really upset Thor, as he didn't think it was because his enemy deserved to be able to lift the hammer. Mm. And he started to suspect that Mjolnir was broken. Ooh. Thor believed the enchantment on Mjolnir was damaged. The enchantment that means that only the worthy, only he can lift it. So he dropped Mjolnir into the middle of rural Broxton, Oklahoma, the former site of Asgard on Earth. Mm. And the hammer there lays in a crater. Um, and this was basically to see, can anyone lift it? Mm. And indeed they can. Uh, local man, Adam Aziz, who had been a, a supporting character when Asgard was on Earth, he was the local... Um, he ran the the auto the auto shop in Broxton, um, and he was a nice he was a nice guy. He'd been in, so he's a conflicted character. He did nine years. He's an ex con who did nine years for armed robbery and assault, mm. but repaired his life. And he now um, in his auto repair shop did um, charity repairs for anyone that couldn't afford to maintain their car and needed to get to work and stuff. A good guy, Aww. but a complicated man. He lifted Mjolnir and was transformed into a being with the powers of Thor. Very, <laughs> no. very, very, very briefly, he, 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 flew around, he flew around for a bit with Mjolnir and then willingly gave the hammer and the power back to the Odin son. But this confirmed, uh, as it lay in a crater in Broxton, Oklahoma, it confirmed Thor's suspicion um, that the enchantment on Mjolnir was broken and now anyone was worthy of lifting the hammer. And that one had to eventually be destroyed and reforged with the heart of Odin buried inside the new hammer. There we have it. The third instalment of our Phase 1 remastered series. Thank you, Will, for leading us ably through the entire plot of Iron Man 2 for us to pick apart and dive into the history and the trivia and the context of the Marvel comics. And as they relate to the movies, I'd love to know, Will, your favourite pieces of trivia that you've learned on this journey through Iron Man 2. Well, there's, there's a fair amount. I mean, I like your concise uh, definition of uh, Black Widow being the female Captain America. I also like the fact that uh, the Crimson Dynamo or Whiplash has been, is a convoluted different version yeah. of the character, which is just a lot of fun. Uh, but I have to say, I, 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 what I found really funny uh, was essentially Howard Stark was created from Tony Stark. Therefore, he's given birth to his own dad in a narrative you, way. You, you come up with a very... That's, I don't think anyone else would go, that means he gave birth to him. You just... Symbolically. Symbolically, yeah. Your final thoughts on this movie then, please, Will. Well, you know, this, it's, a, this is a divisive, uh, it's a very divisive move. Surprisingly divisive film. Uh, my opinion, not as good as Iron Man 1, but still a lot of fun to be had. Better villain than the last film, and still had a lot of witty and fast-firing dialogue. Tony Stark working well, working, sorry, working against his uh, ironic illness was a good point too, as well as revealing more about the relationship between him and his father. Nata Natasha Romanoff's first outing is superb too. Glad we got to see a kick-ass towards the end. And even though there's not, not much more that he can do, I wouldn't mind seeing more of Justin Hammer, mainly just to see more of Sam Rockwell. 
Thank you for that, Will. Um, your reading list, if you'd like to get into some of this, and uh, of course you can enter our competition to to, to win something wonderful, um, head uh, to uh, all your various reading uh, source supplies to find Demon in the Bottle and Armor Wars. Those are some good ones for you to check out. Um, and also to check out the, uh, the, the War Machine collection to uh, to check out um, Rhodey's first time wearing the, uh, the silver and grey armour. In our next episode... We said we'd never do it. I said we'd never do it. Well, now we're flipping doing it. A deep dive into the worst Marvel movie I've ever seen. X-Men Last Stand. Don't miss my torture. We'll see you next time. Marvel vs. Marvel was researched, written and performed by Rob Holden and Will Preston. The show is produced by Will Preston. And our theme song was composed and performed by Dan Walsh. Head to patreon.com slash marvel versus marvel for awesome bonus content.